Chime in, anytime. <laughs> oh no, I'm enjoying this far too much. Haven't you ever seen a rare hairless Wookiee before? Oh. Always remember I am Always remember I am Hello there, and welcome to episode 46 of Distant Echoes, a Star Wars podcast where we travel through the galaxy watching each episode of every Star Wars TV series in whatever order we please. And hell yeah, we're doing that today because we're watching episodes out of order. Uh, I'm your host, Tommy. You're not Cassie. The outline says Cassie. It does say that. But I'm not Cassie either. I'm an, identi- uni- I'm an identified beast. Wow. <laughs> this is starting off great. I'm an unidentified purple beast. Also known as Cassie. Yes. Uh, And today, like I said, we're going to be jumping around just a tad bit because we're going to be talking episode six, The Spy Dancer, and episode nine, which is the final episode of the season. Six and nine. (laughs) Nice. Mm, Uh, nice. Owl song. Um, And the reason we did that is because as we've been doing for this series, uh, we have a very special guest with us today. This is his second appearance on our show. The first was when he helped us break down uh, the fever dream that was the 1978 Star Wars holiday special, which has become... You mean the best Star Wars thing that's ever existed? I was going to say, it's honestly... It's up there. It's yeah. up there. It's probably like number two or three for me. It's become one of our favorites. Uh, it has B. Arthur in it. I mean, like, what, that automatically puts better? it above so what? many things. Yeah, what more could you possibly... The only thing that would have been better is if B. Arthur had been a Wookiee in it. Yeah. Oh, my oh God. God. Can you that imagine? Amazing. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's uh, one of our dear, dear friends, host of Gimmicks Podcast, uh, also host of Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast, Falling With Style, a Pixar retrospective podcast, our beloved friend, Derek. Derek! Hello. Hi, Derek. Hi, Derek. Hi. I have a question for you, Cassie. You said you're an unidentified, like, purple beast. <laughs> yeah. So, are, are, did you, uh, the, the, the cum shake that I'm drinking right now, did it come from you? What? <laughs> literally is it purple yeah it's the, pur- the yes. purple the purple cum shake i guess yes. i should have said purple that is my cum it just sounds like purple yeah <laughs> that is my mass-produced I'm, cum shake oh yeah. my god <laughs> i'm drinking i'm drinking the grimace shake right now i feel like that needed to be clarified for people <laughs> um, i didn't know that at first and, well i, mean, I, I did, knew you were drinking I, the shake but i didn't yeah, know the word cum you're was right. gonna come out of your mouth yeah purple the purple was the key word there that i left out so <laughs> that's Fair. I kind of, I kind of blew that I, load. I was kind gonna of blew a- that load. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I was gonna ask Derek how the heck are you, but you're really great. You're, you're drinking a, a, a purple cum shake, which is the grimace meal shake. We should, uh, I guess, mm-hmm. clarify. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah, that's what it is. That's the unidentified purple beast. It is the unidentified, yes, that's pur- the unidentified purple beast. Grimace, grimace is in these in this episode. Yeah, it is. We okay, or like the first like. Um, archaic version of Grimace before he could speak and was bipedal and yeah. bipedal, not bipedal. <laughs> yeah, Grimace came from a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Apparently, this is we're already going on tangents because that's what we do here. But uh, I, th- they said 
that he's a taste bud, apparently. That's what Grimace is. Well, they like when are taste buds purple? That's my and furry. Like <laughs> it's, it's he's a fuzzy, big purple fuzzy man. I don't like, know a moldy like infected taste bud. I, that I, also... I reject that canon. I don't like. That. <laughs> I'd rather he be a moldy chicken nugget. I that's what I always thought he was was like some sort of chicken yeah. nugget. But a, I don't know. It, I might have been just been gotten by like someone on Twitter. I don't honestly know. Um, but yeah. anyway, someone said that he was a purple. He was a taste bud. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're here to discuss two really cool episodes of this anthology series with our friend Derek. Uh, and Derek, you were on the podcast before, so we know a little bit about your history with uh, Star Wars. And I'm just going to lob this question at you uh, okay. because, I don't know, you, as the host of Gimmicks Pod, I feel like you have a very, uh, you're very attuned to structure breaking, using your own words, uh, mm-hmm. uh, television series and things like that. And Visions very much is that as an anthology se- series, it's very structure breaking. It's not your normal kind of fare when it comes to, especially Star Wars animated series. So I wanted to oh, ask yeah. you, when it comes to anthology series, do you have any that you really like any that are kind of up there as your favorites or any that like stick out to you when you like start thinking about anthology series of like, this is one that like someone you would recommend to someone. Sure. I don't watch a ton of anthology stuff, I guess I'm thinking, I was thinking back, but um, there's a lot of them that I wanted to see. Cause like, I wanted to watch the Fargo TV show. Cause that's an anthology, like oh. different story every season instead of every I episode. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I've, and I've been meaning to watch Fargo because I know that I would love it. I think I've mm-hmm. seen like the beginning of the first season, but like that, yeah, I, I that's one that I've 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 had recommended to me that I haven't gotten around to watch. Um, so like, there's stuff like that, but I mean, I like a lot of the really big classic stuff. Like, I really like Twilight Zone a lot. The original Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. Um, that's kind of you know the the sort of go to I think, but like, it's a classic for a reason. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, but I like Twilight Zone a lot. Um, I, I I like Black Mirror a lot too, um, and Love Death Robots. I is is a little more hit or miss for me than a lot mm-hmm. of other um, anthology shows. But I think like when that show is good, it's like really cool. Um, or when that show is yeah yeah that's what I meant. I was gonna be like when that show is good, it's really good. But then I, but it is cool too. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, those are, I mean, I think those are my favorite. Like, Twilight Zone and Black Mirror, that's, like, the super basic, obvious answer. But, like, a lot of other ones, I, I feel like, um, just, like, the hit or miss ratio is maybe haven't really worked for me very much. Or, like, True Detective. I watched the first season and loved it. Yeah. And, you know, cool. but I haven't watched past the first season. Nope. Um, so, we did, you know. but I don't remember any of it. So, clearly, yeah. it wasn't as great as the first one. Right. There's a lot of stuff like that out there, I think, because... Um, because anthology shows can be so widely hit or miss and like right. if, that, if that ratio isn't working for you it's real easy to drop off of it so mm-hmm. um, especially when it's like a season like season um, anthology stuff you know um, like American Horror Story is, a, is you know oh, technically yeah. an anthology show mm-hmm. too even though it's like kind of in the same universe I guess that's a weird case but it's like a weird crossover Dark Tower yeah. Stephen King thing happening where like they use the same actors, which I guess they do sometimes in other anthologies. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. There's, there's different or the same creative forces in some of them. Um, I, I didn't even, it's it, Fargo is such, 
it's such one that's like fallen off my radar and I think I need to yeah yeah you listed a lot that I forgot about and didn't remember (laughs) forgot that it listed yeah Um, but uh yeah well it's interesting too because like you were saying like a lot of these can be very hit or miss and you -hmm. know we're talking about you know visions in terms of being an anthology series and like it's wild to me how disparate and like different uh these episodes are and yet all of them have been like super high quality thus far yeah Yeah, i don't think there's there's not really a hit or miss ratio with visions i feel like they're all like at least baseline like pretty good and then some of them are great like yeah it's been i mean even like it's funny because like i think if i if i were to go back and rewatch the first season i think i would have different a different perspective on it now i think it's still very good but like even even at that, like we were like very high on that season. Mm-hmm. I think there's only one episode that like missed. There are one or two us. that were a little just not as just they were all amazing, but just not as like not for us. I think. Pinnacle like the pinnacle of like breaking like oh my god, I need to watch this over yeah. and over again. But like this season has been like breathtaking the entire time. I feel like and breathtakingly different too. Yes, like, not yeah. the same way. I, I agree. I think the first season, I think it was special to, it felt really special to see Star Wars done just as in, as any sort of anime at all, period. Just yes. because yes. it felt really novel. Yeah. Um, but I think once you get past that, I think this, the second season is really kind of capitalized on the concept and like really elevated it. It's sort of like, okay, you know, the first season was like, it was different studios, but it was all still anime at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. is, is what they were going, which is what was fine. That's what they were going for. But it's sort of like, what if you expand that further? And it's not just different studios within the same sort of animation medium. But like, what if it was like completely wildly different kinds of animation and like different, different genres and mediums within anim- like sub mediums of animation, you know, right. mm-hmm. um, and, and, and from vastly different places in the world. And I think like, I think as a result, we've gotten so many more varied stories not just animation styles um just because it's like it seems like that they were sort of asked to put the studios were sort of asked to put their own cultural influences in the mm-hmm. stories that they were crafting and i think that gives it such a different flavor than the first season because in the first season was very much like let's just tell star wars stories in anime and that's cool and there were definitely some you know eastern influences in them but i think it seems like they're just sort of like more committed this season to making every single individual episode feel like a vastly different experience that is tapped into like the history and culture from another country each time. Yeah. Thousand percent. And it gives you, I mean, you can go from um, like first nations, people's stories to like a French uh, mm-hmm. inspired, like world war two tale yeah. which yeah. is one that we're going to talk about oh my God. today um so no and and i think that like there, there's some other really interesting tie-ins to some anthology series so i really wanted to make sure that we kicked off um with that question um today because there's some cool stuff uh just in terms of our research that i've come across and some upcoming projects actually uh that mm-hmm. we'll talk about with one of the studios that i am actually really freaking excited about um but we'll talk about that here in a minute but um yeah yeah i'm i'm we're kind of right there with you in terms of how visions has been. Have you just full disclosure? We are, we're watching these episodes as we record, like do the recordings oh. as we have. So we haven't actually even finished the season. Yep. <laughs> no way. Really? Well, you, yeah. the, but since you skipped to the end with this one, leaving seven and eight to be done as your like last visions ones, that number eight is kind of a doozy. So you're, yeah. you, 
you're uh, you're in for it for that one. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm oh, so man. excited. Yeah. Um, our good friend Stick is actually going to come back for oh. that one. I think uh, he's the week. perfect person for that pair of episodes, actually. So I'm yeah, so excited. I think that was a good choice. So mm-hmm. excited. Yeah. We so we specifically wanted you here for this one, Derek, because for two reasons. One, well, actually, multiple reasons, <laughs> but the the but the episodes that we kind of wanted to kind of scope out for you. I'll, I'll, when we when I was kind of going through the schedule, I thought I screwed up when I was when we scheduled you because I was like, no, I wanted Derek for one of the the stop motion episodes because I feel like you have such. Uh, you know, a connection to, well, maybe not a connection to, but you like love stop motion. I have a lot of motion. love. I have a lot of yes. love for it. Yeah. And then we had the two stop motion episodes yeah. and then I was like, did I mess up? But no, there's there, three, there's three stop motion adjacent episodes. And or, very yeah. different styles. Of styles yeah. and way of doing it. Like we'll talk right. about it, but like, yeah. and then also too, there's a very specific connection uh, with our first episode and it's more kind of that traditional kind of animation style as well. So I thought that would be, mm-hmm. you would have a lot of great insight for, for that one too. So, yeah, um, I mean, they were good picks cause these would have been independently of the, like doing the podcast. They would have been my two favorites from this. Yes. So. Heck yeah. It's oh. these two and, and, and Screechers Reach is up there a lot too. I like that one a lot as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, these were good choices. I like I like both of these a lot. Heck yeah. I also thought you would really like the uh, the the dad in the second one. Uh, oh yeah. Yep, you yep, you got <laughs> his my hairy number. arms. One hundred percent. Well, without further ado, get it. Let's do do. Let's do it. Because a do is French. Oh um, look at you. Let's Let's get into the first episode, shall we? Yeah. So this first one is episode six, uh, The Spy Dancer. The Disney Plus description for this one is, the premier dancer at a famous imperial frequented cabaret uses her unique skill set to spy for the rebellion, but the presence of a mysterious officer threatens to derail her mission. Um, What a crazy concept. What an, like nothing we've ever heard from in Star Wars. Ever. Oh, yeah. It's like based in reality. Is it so is fucking yeah. cool. It's so <laughs> fucking cool. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about the history uh, that they pull from with this one. Because like, yeah. honestly, I learned a lot from this one. That's awesome. Um, but the studio for this one is uh, La Cachetta. I think I'm saying La Cachette. La Cachette. I, yeah. I'm La so Cachette. terrible at pronouncing everything no, and I hate it. Uh, they it's are. French. Who, who cares? They're, just <laughs> French. They're fine. Right. The only Whatever. reason I vaguely know is because you, know, you know French. But... Um, this was an animation studio founded in 2014. It was co founded by Julianne Chang and Osama Boichaya. Or Boichaya. Uh, again, I'm just going to butcher everybody's French name. I've. I hate it, but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna get through it. Uh, I don't hate their names. Let me preface: I hate, I hate the fact that I can't say their names, and that's yeah. a me thing, not a them thing. Uh, it's an animation studio bringing together several artists uh, from the animation industry. They have a couple of different uh, things that they're known for. One, they actually you mentioned Love Death uh, Robots earlier, Derek. Mm. They actually worked on Sucker of Souls for Love Death Robots. Okay. Cool, which was cool. an a- animated episode. Um, I'll admit I have not watched that one, but looking at some of the stills from it, it actually had a vibe that reminded me of the next series that we're going to talk about, which is Gendy uh, Tartofsky's Primal. Um, they worked as kind of one of the primary animation studios, like houses working uh, on that show uh, continuously. Yeah. So cool. Which that's that one uh, I I almost hesitated to say at the beginning because I knew we were going to talk about it anyway. But that one is one that they said after season two, like they they 
it's becoming an anthology show. So at a certain Interesting. point, every season is going to be a different. I don't know how long they plan to go for, but every season hmm. after season two is that like a different story in that world that they've created. Cool. That makes so much sense because like this. So primal for anyone who hasn't watched it is kind of follows a. Um, is cave i guess cave yeah it's per- cave. caveman it's cave. um and dinosaur um <laughs> compadre uh that are like just existing in that time period and like anthology series makes total sense for that because like their yeah. life expectancy isn't we gonna be that dead. high yeah. like you know what i mean like yeah uh, yeah right but it's a very like, a lot like, of death <laughs> yeah oh it's a super violent show it's like very like conan the barbarian mm-hmm. kind of inspired sort of vibe like semi like it's not obviously there weren't cavemen and dinosaurs at the same time it's like that sort of heightened fantastical like version of that time period which is really yeah. cool but did really we cool. learn that and maybe i'm wrong or maybe they just look very similar Don't sp- what did we no did we learn that i'm not gonna talk about the story but oh, did we okay. learn that samurai shampoo animation was connected to that you mean samurai jack of, yes samurai jack any of the animators oh, connected yes to that? oh again he talked to created yeah. samurai jack yeah oh, i mean that's, that's all his right? baby yeah and dexter's um, no, he didn't, okay he worked on powerpuff girls but he didn't create it but yeah Gendy Gendy tardoxavi i don't even know if i'm saying the name right, right at this point actually <laughs> we'll figure this out <laughs> i think you're right. i think it's tardakovsky um, tar- i think it's tardakovsky Gennady tardakovsky yeah that sounds right um yeah, no, he's what I mean, I'm butchering his name, but he's like one of my favorite animators ever. Yeah, Dexter's mm-hmm. Lab, Same. Samurai, Samurai Jack. He did the um, the the 2D Clone Wars micro series. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, a Symbiotic Titan is the only thing of his that I haven't Ooh. watched. Uh, that one kind of came and went, but I've only ever heard good things about it. Um, Sounds then cool. The uh, shit, what is it called? The Unicorn Eternal. Unicorn Warriors. Yeah. Unicorn Warriors, yeah. That, that just came out. It's still like on, I don't think it's finished the first season yet. Nope. Um, but I, I want to watch that one. I haven't actually seen it yet and uh um, this studio yeah. la cachette uh actually is is work works on that show as well um, yeah yeah so they're they're kind of this isn't like i know that gendy like kind of jumps around in terms of studios i think that i don't think he like is working primarily with one studio no but i so, think that this studio currently is like is the most consistently yes. since cartoon network is the most consistently that he's like worked with a studio it seems yeah. like yep um, yeah. I, I will just kind of preface, like he didn't have a hand in this show necessarily. Like he wasn't involved with it, but it's just kind mm-hmm. of that, that connection piece. Um, and obviously like, I think you could probably even say there's like some level of like, you can feel like some influence, I think oh, from absolutely. that yeah. style and just everything there. And I think um, acknowledging that is just like the pedigree of the studio, yes. like to, to be a studio that was able to work on such like a renowned and like skilled, famous, like animation creators works and then like pull them off, you know, like yeah. Primal's incredibly critically acclaimed yeah. and like all of his stuff is known for being like top tier, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. kind of hard to pull off animation. So the fact that they can pull it off, I think speaks a lot to like the talent of the people that work in the studio, whether he's actually involved or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, critically acclaimed, but I think it's one like, an Emmy, I'm pretty sure, right? Like for animation or multiple. M- it's won multiple awards. Maybe yeah. only one Emmy. You might, I'm not. You might be right, but it's yeah. It's it's won or been nominated for like yeah. a shit ton of awards. Studio Cachette is an independent studio hidden in Paris, and we are focused on hand-drawn animation. Paris is the most beautiful place to work and live. That's it. It's a very dynamic place for everything that's about art because there is a lot of exhibitions and museums and artists. 
Any excuse to get to Paris makes me happy. It is one of my favorite cities and one of the most alive cities on the planet. And you feel that sort of zest for life that I think they capture in their storytelling so well. And they do so because they're in the heart of it. Uh, the studio has also worked on uh, things like, and these are a little unfamiliar to me, but uh, a show called Kairos, uh, Moon, uh, or Mune, Guardian of the Moon, Day Trip to the Aquarium Door, uh, and then Midi Avi du Passage, which, uh, which is Medi's delivery notice. I know I didn't say that correctly at all. I can already see Cassie laughing. Uh, and then La <laughs> Collage okay. Noir, which is the Black College. Which is funny because I left you pronunciation notes. I know. Oh, <laughs> I just keep thinking uh, from Dexter's lab, like, omelette du fromage. Omelette du fromage. Omelette du fromage. <laughs> I could say that. Um, uh, a couple of things I wanted to call out from the behind the scenes, uh, the filmmaker focus um, that we've talked about a lot on these episodes. Um, this The animation studio talks about how their focus is on hand-drawn animation, which is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um they describe themselves, I thought this was cool, as hidden in Paris. Uh, that's on their website, and they also talk about it in the Filmmaker Focus. And turns out, La Cachette uh, translates literally to the hideout um, in French. Ooh. So that's what it means. Uh, but I do think it's pretty cool. They talk about, one of the animators talks about um, how they they feel like it's a safe place to go. And then they're also super inspired by their location, which is France, uh, like a lot of all the other studios. Um, and they mentioned how that was part of Lucasfilm's direction to them uh, to really add in that like French flavor. So we got a little bit more in this behind the scenes of like kind of the interaction, I think, between Lucasfilm mm. and the studio. So there was like a little bit, I think, of, you know, Lucasfilm saying like, we want you to have that flavor like mm. of your your country kind of thing and, and put that in into what you're making. And then the other thing was that uh, the architecture of France uh, inspired the setting pretty majorly. Uh, we'll talk in a minute about the historical contra- uh, context, but even the buildings kind of played a huge role. They talked about how the mix of golden metal and like this bluish hue of like mm. some of the metal buildings in France mm. made their way into the cabaret cool. uh, setting, which like after I saw, I heard that and then I like looked back at the episode. I was like, Oh yeah, a thousand percent like this is uh this is totally visible um in this in this episode so we were very influenced by the french architecture of paris when i visited just looking at all of the buildings on the street i was like wow i've seen this about 10 minutes ago when we were watching your short in the office to design the cabarets we looked at the moulin rouge in paris but also metallic structures like the grand palais we liked this mix of golden metal with bluish green ornaments and we really wanted the audience feel like they are entering a French cabaret. Um, the colors were so beautiful. It was oh, yeah. so relaxing to watch. Yeah. Like Yep. I don't know. The art style was just so unique too. Mm-hmm. Like ugh, so pretty. Yeah, yeah. So this one was uh, written and directed by Julian Chang. Uh, he, like I said, was the CEO of La Cachette Studios, or still is, rather. Um, and he was actually trained in visual animation development uh, at Disney. Um, he 
uh, worked as a character animator on acclaimed 2D animation features such as The Rabbi's Cat, Moon, uh, and then the Academy Award nominated Ernest and Celestine. Uh, in 2021, he won, yeah, this was the Emmy. He won an uh, Emmy as animation executive producer for Primal, uh, which he also served as animation supervisor. Um, so again, he, I mean, that pre- pedigree is there and he, like mm-hmm. it's very close to um obviously the that production so mm-hmm. which is really cool yeah, yeah. nice yeah um this was also um so jumping into the cast actually um we have cami Catan as Louis. that's kind of the main character she's a french actress and comedian also a stage actress known for playing a capricious per, uh, persian woman in, Parisian woman. sorry parisian woman good god i can't read today <laughs> Uh, in uh, a hidden camera sketch series, yeah, which is really Isn't cool. That funny, weird, yeah, interesting. Very yeah. interested to see what that is. Yeah, she was. She's just, you know, I don't know. She's just great and uh, like a comedic actress as yeah. the lead was kind of really surprising to me. Yeah, because I mean, she's really good. I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. That's so fun. Um, we also have uh, Lambert Wilson as John. Um, at 22, he debuted in Five Days, One Summer uh, in 1981 alongside Sean Connery. Uh, also, oh, wow. yeah. oh here's, here's the other one, Derek. He is uh, the Merovig... I can, Merovingian. I, Vingian. Merovingian. Merovingian. There it is. Yes. In The Matrix. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now I know exactly who it is. Yep. Got it. Isn't that yeah. cool? Wow. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. That. <laughs> uh, he also uh, has been in Le, uh, Les Choix Simples. Oh, my God. Why do You're I have fine. all of You're these trying so hard. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, fine. <laughs> Miss Harris Goes to Paris, uh, which is a very funny name. Oh, I love that this movie. That's with uh, Francis McDormand, right? Is I've never seen that. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah it sounds very really, familiar. It's really cute. That is such a cute movie. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he also provided the French voice for Baloo in uh, the 2016 live action Jungle Book. Oh, wow. Which cool. is cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and then we have uh, Casey Chase as Atis. Uh, she was, that's the, the younger. Haiti. Um, that per- yeah, the pronunciation you put in for me. <laughs> I tried really hard. No, it's good. It's It's, it's, it's on me, not on you. Um, she's Dale currently in the 2021 Chippendale Park Life <laughs> series. Um, oh. And she also has voice talent and uh, provides uh, voices in Detroit Becoming Humid, as well as Mario plus Rabbids and uh, Peanuts, which was pretty oh. cool. Yeah. There's okay. a lot of Detroit Becoming Human coming up. Yeah. Like the rest of the cast oh, is in that game. Yep. Uh, Interesting. We, <laughs> we had uh, we have Rudy James Jeff Cott as the officer. Uh, he was best known as a voice actor in uh, Trek to Yomai, which I, is a really cool game, actually, and uh, also provided motion capture for Life is Strange 2. Oh, um, okay. Yep. Uh, and then we have Barbara Re- Weber Scaff as mima and additional voices um she also was a voice in uh both chippendale tv series the newest one uh from 2021 that i just mentioned as well as uh, mario plus rabbits um and uh detroit becoming human as well what? So the, the the amount of video game I know. voices yeah. that they do is i wonder so if detroit is a me. french came from a french i think it video is i think it actually that ex- yeah explains I, that yeah. I, I might be wrong but i'm i'm pretty sure i remember seeing that i don't remember the studio that worked on it but sure. mm-hmm. um oh that's what i wanted to call out yeah that they also uh casey barbara and then rudy james were all in mystery lane which is a french animated series that follows hamsters solving mysteries in london oh my god uh what? 
Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, we have Chippendale, so like, it's uh, not sure. that I mean, crazy. It, actually, yeah, it's just like the rescuers, but hamsters and stuff. Yeah. I kind of get that. But still, it you know, to yeah. see a new property doing that is, is fun and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last two uh, voice talents that we have are Bruce Sheffield and Taylor Gassman, who both provided additional voices. Uh, Bruce was also in Detroit Becoming Human, Black Box, uh, Cold Hearts, uh, A Poetical, and Vampire the Masquerade. So more uh, video games there. And then Taylor as well was in Heavy Rain and uh, Lay Legendaries. Cool. Yeah. So lot, like you said, lots of video game actors in this one, which is kind of cool. Uh, I think that seeing um, Heavy Rain as well, I think Heavy Rain might be the same studio as Detroit, but I, again, gotcha. I don't recall. So that would They're make sense. They're both like... Um, story driven. Yeah. Because Detroit's yeah. the one I watched Granny play, right? With the AI. And then Heavy Rain is like a murder mystery or something. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. I've never, I haven't played either of those. Detroit's um, crazy. Detroit is yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't play it, but I watched, I it's, watched Granny play. You would it. actually really enjoy that one, Derek. It's like a very like androids, mm-hmm. humanity kind of. Like yeah. one of the Cyber androids heard about is like it. accused of murder or something. So like you have to yeah. like figure out how to stop them from getting mm-hmm. killed yeah. or something. I remember. I remember when that game came out and there was, it was, that was one of those, there was some controversy around it or people were mad about something in it, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. yeah. I forgot too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're right. But I don't, I didn't pay attention because I didn't think I was ever going to play it. So I, I <laughs> it's a video when game. Yeah. There's always yeah. some controversy. <laughs> yeah. Gamers, Precisely. gamers going to game. Yeah. Um, gamers suck. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. let's, what doesn't suck Segway man uh, is this episode. Uh, So let's jump right in. Uh, So this actually takes place on a planet called Bebel. I don't think they actually ever say it in the show itself. I don't recall, but they did mention it in the kind of behind the scenes featurette. And it's according to the filmmakers and what we see, it is seriously occupied by the Empire. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. And we open up and we see these like really rotund buildings and imperial troops um, and vehicles kind of like patrolling through this war torn kind of um, city. And then we get this dark, this pan up and we see dark clouds, rain, and then a star destroyer and like a blood red moon just kind of like hanging over this location. Um, And then kind of in the middle of that. We see these bright lights, like this, these two streamer bright lights, and then this building that's just emanating this kind of like golden um, light. And we learn that that's the cabaret. Um, and just kind of right off the bat, like I think how this setting kind of comes to life is very evocative, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we're going to talk about it in a second, but like it's very evocative of like the nazi occupation of france in in uh yeah. during uh, world war ii well i think of lots of occupations like i think of it actually because i'm not as familiar i guess i've watched more like japanese movies during that time period than mm-hmm. like french movies or movies that had like a sure. japanese influence like memoirs of a geisha like i think of like like geisha performing for americans or like for like any type of officers that are yeah. like in like it's right. such a stark contrast to have this these brutal things happening and then there's like this place where the good guys or the bad guys can like go away and like be in this whole different world, right? Like this fantasy world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the idea of like the peop the people the occupiers like who are actually like occupying that uh you know or in in, in invading like a, a country or in this case a planet or whatever, like having 
the people who like the native people who live there perform for them like yeah, yeah. is there's just the 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 weird just like the this like strange the like, contradiction like it almost like doesn't like it doesn't make sense in your brain mm-hmm. that that yeah. could be a thing you mm-hmm. know it just feels kind of weird and wrong it does yeah yeah it's it's all very like it's just this again that juxtaposition of like the darkness the star destroyer like hanging over and then that light from the cabaret like mm-hmm. it's this like weird like it gives you this weird sense of dread but also like a little bit of hope right when you see that yeah. light kind of cutting through but also like like you're saying Derek like it's very uh it's just very dark to think about like they're occupied and being forced to per- perform for them in a sense. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's weird, but then it's also like, there is the, the beauty of like the architecture and everything. Like you're talking about that. They modeled it off of French stuff, like French stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's like you're going to the Moulin Rouge, like in yeah. the middle of like, <laughs> in, in, you know, an evil invading like a uh, force. Like there's something just so interesting about that. Like mm-hmm. it's such a weird feeling, like something that is so beautiful, like in literally like, in, you know, art form and art, artful performance. Oh, yeah. And stuff and like seeing that beauty like contrasted with like yeah like you were saying just like the sort of sense of dread from the the empire being there like it's just it's it really sets the tone for how the the weird juxtaposition this episode is like it is so beautiful and yet the stuff that is like actually happening under the surface is like really kind of dark and sad yeah <laughs> the whole time you know Wow, I'm so happy to see so many troopers back at Lois Follies. Um, we missed you. We missed you too. Uh, uh, oh, I've never seen you here before. You are so lucky. Best show in the galaxy. I'm sure. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. And I and I I did just want to just kind of cut in with a little bit from that filmmaker focus because I think it really like. It, it just shows how intentional they were. Like, it wasn't accidental, right? Like, the, all of this stuff feels this way. Um, mm-hmm. They talk about, like... I mean, we already mentioned this, that it is it is based on that Nazi occupation of France. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically, Julien, the director, mentions that Bibel was inspired by Montmartre, which is a... Um, a city in northern France that was sort of an entertainment hub. Um, and it was a place where... Um, a lot of like Nazi officers and stuff like that would come um, like in, and see performances and things like that. But it was also rife for resistance fighters eager for information. Um, so like mm. it was kind of that. And they talk, they talk a little bit about this when they, when they start talking about the, the inspiration for some of the characters about how, like, because entertainers were a little bit less, um regulated isn't the right word but we're a little bit more free right to kind of move about and do like their business they were actually able to get a lot of information and feed it to yeah. uh kind of the resistance during they were the only ones that could do what they did it's not like you could just you could rep- easily replace mm. like a um soldier like a waste removal person or like something i mean as far as civilians yeah yeah but like they couldn't replace the entertainers that they needed for that specific utility Mm -hmm. you know yep yeah and also like that is a space where people are just kind of like vulnerable isn't the right word but kind of like if you're if you're like you know a military person if you're a soldier or something like 
uh, even if you're an officer being in like a performance space or a theater, like you are kind of vulnerable there. I think because I feel like you are just inherently letting your guard down. If you're going to just see a show, mm-hmm. no matter, no matter who is actually performing, you know? Exactly. And so it just makes it easy. I mean, this episode just ba- like shows that, you know, yeah. so like, and it makes, so I think that makes it easier for any sort of resistance to like be, it makes it easier to like do whatever spy work you want because they're just not in a position to be, to have their, you know, their guard up full, you know, to be fully on like they are, like they would be at like their base or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And we, like you said, we see that in this episode, right? Like we kind of, after we have this kind of, initial opening right on the city um, we see imperials milling about that golden building that we talked about um, one trooper kind of remarking that this is his first time and another big boy trooper he's um, got a he's actually bigger yeah yeah the body types in this one are all really like there's so a lot of good. varying yeah. body types in this episode it's great i loved it yeah as soon as i saw that that trooper i was like hell yeah it's like this well, is yeah. awesome. they're not clones they have, um, to have different armor and right exactly yeah and so the the kind of the bigger trooper kind of brings this younger trooper in and he's just like, he's like, yeah, their liquor is the best. And we're to take it. We're to learn that like, there's kind of a more uh, veteran trooper and then a younger trooper. Um, and at that point, that's when Hades, uh kind of comes in and takes the, that group and like sits, sits them front and center. Uh, after she does that, she kind of heads up to the rafters and that's where we meet Loi. Um, and she, Loi is this kind of, so both of them, I'm kind of going really fast through this, I no. realize, but both of them are this race of species that are kind of inhabiting this planet, or not inhabiting, they're from this planet, <laughs> and they have um, uh, these eyes that, sh- they're two different colored eyes. Heter, it's one's heter, blue is it and heter- one's yellow. Heterocre- heterochromia or something like yes. that? Yes. Something like that? Is mm-hmm. that the word? Yep. Yeah, heterochromia, one blue eye, and then one golden eye, as well as, like, they also have these, like, sort of horns mm-hmm. um, that are very slight, I'll call them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're yeah. they're not that Small. noticeable, um, but, like, you can definitely see that they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both kind of in... Uh, they're both of, of the same species. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, they're both performers, right? Mm-hmm. We learned that they're both performers. Um, Hades informs Louis that she's seated the most clueless imps uh, <laughs> front and center as requested. And we get to uh, the sense that these characters are resistance fighters at so this point. So I got really excited really quick when they said imps, because yeah. this isn't the first time we've heard this. I think it's more, I don't think we ever hear it in the original series. I don't think they ever no, they never. They don't call imps. them imps. But they call them imps in the Thrawn book that I'm reading right now. Mm. Oh, weird. And I didn't get that. I thought they were just calling them like goblins. And then I realized, oh, Imperials. Imperials. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. I didn't even. Yeah, I thought thought it was just like a derogatory word. It is, but it's funny because it's also abbreviated. I think it's both, right? Because it's like they're imps because they're kind of like demons. Well, goons, yeah. And then they're also also goons. And then they're also Imperials. So it kind of works on like. That's so. Oh, I kind (laughs) of love that. Yeah. Yeah. that's pretty brilliant. I really, yeah. when we go to Disney, I want to, I want to make this jean jacket that has all these like punk patches on it that are Star Wars, and I want one of them no to be imps. like "fuck the imps" or something. Fuck yeah, that'd be really funny. Oh, that's Probably so not "fuck imps" because we're going to Disney, but maybe something uh, a little less. Kick imps, punch maybe the imps. pee on yeah, three guy, imps. but it's like a stormtrooper helmet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of in this moment, the two of those uh, individuals, Hates and Loi, they bicker back and forth a little bit. Um, Hates is kind of fighting, wanting to fight back and do more. Um, and Loi is kind of hesitant to like let her in on the mission. 
Loie at that point gets a call on a communication device. And I did want to call this out because this was so fucking rad. Um, she has this communication device hidden in um, kind of her jewelry stand or her jewelry makeup stand. And the jewelry makeup stand is like the torso of a protocol droid. Like yeah, it looks like C-3PO. So good. Yeah, it's, it's kind so of like funny. a bust. It, I, I thought it less of a jewelry stand and more like a like a fashion bust. Yeah. That you would have like yeah. a fashion form. Uh, but it's literally just, yeah, the fashion form is a protocol droid store. So, <laughs> so yeah, cool. so smart. I love that. Yeah. And it, it's it's very much like I didn't know what the right word for it was. But I think, like you said, fashion bus, like because it is like a fr- it's a very like of this period of time, like mm-hmm. French, like, yeah, it's called a know. fashion forum. That's, that's what awesome. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it feels it doesn't feel like out of place or like weird or anything like it no. fits right in. Like it doesn't. I actually. I noticed it at first, but, like, I had to, like, kind of, like, look back at it again and be like, I, was that C-3PO or was that just, like, a weird, like... <laughs> the actual C-3PO. Yeah, or... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he gets uh, around. But, um, like I said, she gets a call on that communication device, and on the other end is John, who is another member of the Resistance and, and also um, looks to be of kind of that same species. I, I didn't get... I don't think they named the, the species, um, no. so I don't know what they were. Um, but he also has the horns. We see that. But he's, like, working on droid parts and stuff like that um, in this, this bunker. Oh, he's so yeah. good. I love the any goggles, character that has so big cool. steampunk goggles that's, like, an engineer. They're typically my favorite character in anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Also, they're, like, taking... Uh, um, Oh my god! I'm gonna. I'm, I can't believe I'm blanking on this right now. Oh, Tie Fighter! They're taking Tie Fighter wings and adding them to this other ship. Yeah, which is really fucking cool. <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't, yeah, they're so right. I didn't even really click with me, but like, that's such a cool concept. It's incredible that they're like cobbling these like ships together. Like, yeah, that's so cool. And I don't know if like the the intention was that they were gonna provide shields or like additional like flies. I don't know what they were, but it was just a cool concept. They're probably of, like, laser shields or something. Yeah. Some type of extra protection. It felt very mm-hmm. tanky, right? Yeah. Which is again like that war like kind of vibe. Um it makes it makes total sense. Um but like I said, so he's in that in a hangar building this wild ship, um, and kind of talks to Loe about like what you know they need to do and like what the plan is and that kind of stuff. Um and uh Loe collects these like tracking devices mm-hmm. um that she has and goes out uh to start basically start doing her performance and before they she does she kind of like stands with some of these other individuals that that have that same um look like they're of the same the same species um as well as uh (laughs) this weird fucking frog alien oh (laughs) yeah i love that dude and the the weird like the coral Th- looking instrument that he yes. plays somehow and he it's, has like a little pipe at one oh my point God. like it's so good it's like it's, a theremin it's like some weird other yeah. r- theremin is already weird but it's like yeah. the most alien instrument we have in real life but it's yeah. like played similarly right because he doesn't yeah. actually touch it he like just moves no. his hands around it yeah it, yeah it definitely feels inspired by that for sure so fucking cool and like so that i love just like again we we say this a lot, but like when there's weird fucking just dudes in Star Wars, it's yeah. just like that's they're the typically best. frog-like. It's the best. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like Max why? Rebo. 
what else what else do you watch star wars for other than the weird little freaks that yeah. they make and that that like never speak english either like or like you know are we never hear them speaking like the star wars common language like yes. they're always speaking in their own freak and weird language it's like the, make these weird ass noises like it's it's so good i love it or yeah. like everyone knows what they're saying but no one speaks the language they're like mm-hmm. yeah. ah shut up stanley or whatever the fuck like yeah. and they're yeah. just like i i love it gets to have the I have a bad feeling about yes, this. Yes. <laughs> he does in his own language, which is really cool. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do. So before she descends, she, uh, they, they all kind of like have this moment of like reflection and they say like to the ones we've lost. Um, and then Loie kind of descends and starts performing her act. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to pause here and bring in some of the stuff from the filmmaker focus real quick. Cause this is where I think it's really important to have like some, some of where they're drawing their inspiration from. Their story came together very naturally. And this was the history of France during World War II. They wanted to tell a French resistance story. Their inspiration for their short is so real to them. It's right there in the streets of Paris where this occupation of their city happened. When you speak of occupation, of resistance, it is impossible for the French people to not think about the Second World War. So it was natural for us to start from there as a base. Planet Bebel was really inspired by Montmartre, this famous neighborhood in the north of Paris. The Nazis used to have fun in the cabarets in Montmartre, and it had become a favorite place for resistant fighters eager for information. All those years helping the rebellion. In terms of the spy figure, Louis was inspired by the likes of Mata Hari or even the performer Josephine Baker, who used her celebrity and freedom to travel and delivered several important documents and messages between the resistance and the Allies. The priority for us was to create a strong character that would convey all the emotion we wanted to bring in our story. And once we had that, we just had to unfold uh, the word around her. They called out in the filmmaker focus uh, that Loie, uh, they drew inspiration for her uh, from three specific uh, historical figures. Uh, Madahara, or Madahari, mm-hmm. uh, Josephine Baker, and Louise Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, so Madahari was an exotic dancer during World War I, uh, and she was actually convicted of being a spy for Germany and executed in France. Um there's actually some more recent discourse as to whether or not she was actually a spy. Some saying that um, mm. she may have been a scapegoat. Um, mm. in Interesting. A, yeah, and a lot of the files and stuff like that that she had uh, were forged. But regardless, she's kind of... I, I mean, I know that this, char- this character archetype has existed before her, but she is one of the... Kind of like a central inspiration for like that femme fatale mm-hmm. character of kind of like... Archetypical sure. character of like a seductress who gets information and like that kind of thing. Um, so she's kind of like an inspiration in that sense. The one that I really want to talk about, um, though, mm-hmm. is Josephine Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josephine Baker is a fucking badass. <laughs> like, she, first of all, was the first black woman to star in a major motion picture, um, the 1927 silent film Siren of the Tropics. Um, and she was an entertainer, and because she was an entertainer kind of during World War II, um, 
she was able to travel freely for the most part and socialize with uh, Nazis and nightclubs, embassies, all manner of places to gather information. Um, She also was able to have conversations with high-ranking Japanese and Italian officers and reported back the conversations that she had. Mm. Um, So this, again, kind of is that, that... what we were talking about of like entertainers having like a little bit more freedom during this time period. Mm -hmm. And she was able to put that to good use. (laughs) Um, After the Nazi occupied France, uh, she continued her efforts and visited neutral nations, carrying information back and forth. Um, She had carried information on uh, for transmission to England about airfields, harbors, uh, German troop uh, concentrations in the West. And this is the part that's like, I don't, I may have learned this before, but also it's just like, this is like legit spy shit of like the notes that she wrote on were written in invisible ink on her sheet music. That is so fucking cool. So fucking cool. She is. I've definitely heard of her before. Yeah. Like, uh, like, yeah, same. She's just such a badass. Mm -hmm. Um, she actually was awarded the resistance, uh, medal for her work during the war, uh, in France. And she also was a huge civil rights activist after the war. Um, she actually refused to play shows to segregated audiences. Um, oh, fuck yeah. So, like, <laughs> just continuing on to just be this, like, super dope, badass character. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, oh, that um, rules. Yeah, I, I was like, I was like, oh, man, like, I'm so glad that this, again, I don't quite remember, like, how much I, like, I didn't remember much about this, but, like, relearning some of the stuff, I was like, yeah, Josephine Baker, like, fucking Hell rules. Yeah. And, like yeah. Well, I feel like, yeah, like, that's all stuff that, like, it sounds really familiar to me, but I feel like depending on the era of your life that you're learning it, like, it's gonna stick with you in yeah. different ways. But it also like should have been more learned about yes i <laughs> like this should be something I we agree. should be like oh yeah this was on our test because it's an important right. thing we should know and not like i don't know memorizing something fucking um, stupid but like honestly it's sort of like because that's this is the kind of stuff that would i feel like if i was a kid who maybe like some kids are naturally interested in history but like if i was a kid who probably like most kids like wasn't that interested in history like when you're in like middle school or whatever right like this would have been the kind of shit that would have kept me very very compelled to right. learn more about what was happening precisely you know during during world war ii or whatever invisible you know? ink like, yeah <laughs> so it's just cool. like that, that shit sounds right out of a fucking movie yeah and and also like i think just I, there is a certain power in just like learning like how people have resisted in the past, you know, have oh, resisted yeah. to mm-hmm. to invade, you know, to fascists and, and shit. So mm-hmm. like it's it's just really cool and honestly like kind of inspiring to hear stuff like that. Yeah, sure. and and also too like she's been I, I this is only like a tiny 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 bit. Like, of what she's done, obviously. Like, I gave, yeah. like, the barest overview. And, like, honestly, yeah. I... Like, you could... We could do an entire... I mean, there's been, like, I think documentaries and, like, other, mm-hmm. you know, various different films and stuff like that about her. So, like, this is only just, like, scratching the surface, right? So... Yeah. The other one... um, The other character that they kind of drew inspiration from was Louise Fuller. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Louise Fuller before. But I hadn't before this. Um, but she was a theatrical dancer, uh, an actress in the late 19th, early 20th century. And she is credited as a pioneer of modern dance and lighting techniques. Um, she actually had a laboratory where she would make chemical compounds for creating like color gels um, and chemical salts for like luminescent lighting and garments. Um, and she had patents. Wow. 
uh, for some of this and even attempted to patent uh, the serpentine dance, which is something that is a heavy inspiration for Loe, the kind of flowing dance that she does with her with her outfit. Yeah, it's kind of like wow. aerial silks, mm-hmm. too. That's that's kind of what um it reminded me of. The other the other thing I just want to call about out about her was that she was actually it. Uh, uh, op- she was a lesbian and she was open in her relationship which like at this time period like didn't happen quite a lot um and her, her partner gab Soiree, um when she died she inherited like the dance studio the troupe and her lab um and things like that as well um and i just thought that was just super cool um just like fuck yeah more badass yeah. like let's like, go lesbians <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> um and there was some other stuff too that I was gonna call out about, like they, they, there were like patent disputes and stuff like that for like her like techniques and like certain things that she was able to patent and other things she was I didn't know you could patent a dance. Well, that was part of the the challenge. It's I think. Interesting. Um, but anyway, it was all just fascinating stuff, yeah. and the the main kind of draw, right, was that dance style. And if you actually, um, we'll. we'll post these out on our twitter feed but if you see some of the pictures of like her swirling dress um when she was like they were taking pictures of her and things like that you can a thousand percent just see cool. exactly like what it was that um uh, they drew inspiration from that's incredibly cool and it's so interesting too like a lot of this stuff like especially with like you know these like spy women who were like resisting in their own way yeah um like it feel like when you're when you spell it all out like it feels so obvious that 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 would be something that would be adapted into a star Wars story when Mm -hmm. you're talking about the resistance. But I do think it's really interesting that like, I feel like in a lot, I mean, maybe there's some, you know, some of the TV shows and stuff that I haven't seen, maybe there's more of this, but I feel like a lot of star Wars media, that's at least the mainline stuff that I have been exposed to. Like, I don't, I feel like it kind of sometimes will get lost in like the Jedi of it all or like, you know, the mythology. And then I think, the resistance stuff can be a little bit lost. And so I feel like it, it's interesting that it almost takes like people who are specifically trying to draw from their own history of having like people who resisted, you know, like in, you know, whether from their own countries or just like during a specific time that was important to their country. Like they're sort of like intentionally doing that to bring it into star Wars. What it's almost like, I feel like this kind of stuff should have naturally been in star Wars stories. Continuously. Like it's almost, it's almost weird that it took like a French studio doing an (laughs) experimental animated short to like put in like, performers uh, going like you know doing spy shit for the resistance like yeah obviously why wouldn't that be a star wars thing like it's weird that that hasn't happened before actually (laughs) we haven't seen spies but we've definitely seen entertainers that have a very similar feel like i mean the cantina is typically a place where there's interaction between imperials and rebels sure um and then yeah. also like the tw- the Twi'leks or the Twi'leks that um, Java mm, has point. enslaved and like that's a really we've good point. Seen, yeah. I mean, but not not to the scale that that is very evident in this. Well, and I think I think that I think you're, what you're hitting on, Derek, is like kind of and probably won't spend too too much time on this aspect of it. But I think we all probably have very similar uh, feelings towards it. But I think. The original trilogy, like, George Lucas has been, like, open about being, like, you know, the Empire was inspired by, like, you know, the Americans and, like, the Vietnam War and, like, kind of that form of, like, um, imperialism, right? Yeah. And so I think you do have more of it 
in like the like the original trilogy than you do sure. in some of the later stuff. Yeah. Um, because you're right. I do think it starts to get a lot of it just gets lost in kind of the mythology of it. And I think if I had to guess, a lot of that like reason and rationale is, you know, marketability right like yeah it's yeah, it's right. disney it's a giant corporation like they gotta make sure that like you know yeah. they're not pissing people off <laughs> uh, yeah but we do get like stuff like andor which is much more like kind of that left uh sure. left ideology left-wing ideology and like you know and and fighting back against the occupation so we are getting more of it like that's a good point i kind of for for forgetting that andor is a thing well yeah, they're all, that, that definitely kind of doubles down on it more than i think a lot of other stuff has recently but they are split all you're right though they're not usually combined it's either like a jedi story right. like a mythological story or a political mm story it's 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 kind of severed off into two branches and not always entirely together right like these um visions is the same way we either get a story that's about the force and how the force relates to the culture or we get a story about the people and how the people and the characters Mm -hmm. relate well and and i also to say too you know as as good as andor and again we still haven't watched andor but as good as i understand andor is um and as popular as it is, it's still not like, like when you think about your av- like average person watching Star Wars, like they're going to think about the movies, right? Like, and so I think the movies have definitely had a precipitous decline in these types of stories and these types of characters and yes. things like that. Um, Except for the spinoffs, but like not the main line. Yeah, like I guess Rogue like Rogue One stuff, but kinda, like not. But even that's still kind of like, that's more enveloped in like, I feel like you still lose a lot of the, like what we're talking about here too. Like in, in Rogue One, as good as that movie yeah. is, um, you do get like the freedom fighters, but it's also more just kind of like Star Wars mytho- mythological freedom fighters. It's not like grounded in like that historical context, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Quite as much, but. I don't know. It, yeah, I think I think that's a fair I think that's a fair call out and a fair um you know thing to say and I but I do also think like it's cool that we get it here. I do wish that it was like more uh uh more people were watching it so to speak, but right. Yeah, yeah cuz I'm sure this is probably like the, the least watch of the Star Wars things yeah. that are probably out just by the nature yeah. of what it is. Um, yep. Unfortunately, even though I think it maybe is among the best Star Wars yeah. things that have come out in the past like 10 years. I so. think so. Same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, jumping back in. Uh, so we had mentioned Loe kind of descends down um, to do her, her performance. Um, the act is a front as we know and we kind of see this pretty quickly um she moves about the auditorium and as she like doing her like flowing beautiful dance and i don't want to skip over the dancing part of it because um i know that there's a lot to probably talk about in those very quick scenes um because it is i, so I don't know it's well probably animated. hard to talk about it, it is yeah. like, i <laughs> think it's the kind of thing you it. just have to watch yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. i mean it's just the the movements just really beautiful mm-hmm. and they just do so much with her flowing like dress that are like kind of like drapes you know like i i, I I don't know how, like, how, what more to yeah. say about it, you know? Like, it's just, it looks really good. Yeah. It's mesmerizing, which is exactly yeah. what it needs to be because right. none of the stormtroopers are paying attention to the fact right. that she's, as she's flowing these silks around. Sorry, I spit in your eye. That's I, saw, okay. I saw the spit go into your eye. <laughs> the um, dangers of recording yelling into the same microphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. She slings the, uh, 
tracking devices. Tracking devices onto the troopers as, as they're watching. Uh, yeah. Which is really cool. And we do get to see like more, uh, you had mentioned, Derek, like the different body types of the stormtroopers in this moment. Very different artistic styles. One of the things that was actually really cool, uh, and I might have this in my outline later on, but I'll just mention it now. In terms of like the stormtrooper designs, uh, 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 Julien, the, the uh, kind of director, he mentioned how fun it was to like design the stormtroopers, but also like how they had to make a bunch of them and how... He, he talked about like it just being like one or two strokes to like create the stormtroopers. And when he said that, I was like, there's no way though. Like they're so detailed. But then I like, you look back at it and he's, not. he's kind of right. So like simple. they're very simple, but I very effective. It. Yeah. We wanted to see stormtroopers out of their usual context, enjoying a night off, taking their helmets off for once. The stormtroopers were the most fun to draw actually, because they're so iconic. Like with one line and some black shadows, you can have a stormtrooper drawn in seconds and you know it's a stormtrooper. Um, they're honestly like, I know, you know, stormtroopers are bad, but they're very cute. In they're this very ride. cute. <laughs> very Their much design so. is adorable. And, and they're, they're cute without like a lot of times, especially in Visions, because we have so many different various like animation styles. Like the next episode we're going to talk about is adorable yeah. because it's like, it's very, it's like the animation so is detailed. very adorable. I don't feel like this was like overly trying to be like cutesy or anything like no. that, but they no. just are like, they just are very like cute characters. Like, but I adorable. also think that. Yeah, you don't need a detail because with very few strokes of a brush, you can tell what a stormtrooper is. Like, they're so yeah. recognizable. They're black and white armor. Same exact, like, yeah. Like, yeah. it's so easy yeah, to recognize them. It's kind of the genius of the stormtrooper design. Is yeah. Like, like, they are just so instantly recognizable, even, like, in silhouette or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so she's placing these trackers. She's throwing them about. As she's doing her performance, she actually kind of locks in on a character that we've seen kind of earlier in the episode kind of enter. We never see their face, um, but it's an Imperial officer and a KX droid. Uh, KX droid being like those like really, um, I forget the name of the character in Rogue One, but it's like this super heavy like combat battle droid, droid combat yeah. droid. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Loe gets kind of catches sight of him, you see like this like knowing look on her face. Mm-hmm. And then we have this like flashback sequence um, and we see what we presume is the officer and that dr- same droid surrounded by flames. And, and uh, we see them like approaching Loie and mm-hmm. that's kind of the end of the, the flashback there cuts back in and um, Loie is kind of doing her dance, dancing on these ribbons and she misses her mark mm-hmm. and starts falling. Mm-hmm. Um we have another flashback and we see more of what happens in the past. Louise holding a baby as that man approaches her um, and other children like of that species are like crying in the back, yeah. in the background. I actually didn't notice the children the first time I watched it. But when I like watched it again, I saw them kind of like huddled. And yeah. Um, Ugh, yeah. Yeah. And this is where it gets like really kind of, you know, a little dark. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, they approach her cut back to present moment. Uh, Hattice, uh comes to Louis's rescue um, and they kind of close up the curtain um, and Louis just like immediately is like everybody has to get the fuck out of here like go like mm-hmm. tell like John mm-hmm. like you're like you're leaving Hattie's like very confused about like what's actually happening um, and Louis kind of goes back to her dressing room and like arms herself mm-hmm. um, which I was like god damn she's so she's badass so, this fucking cool. so fucking cool I remember my uncle had old uh, Star Wars toys 
and one of them was Leia dressed as a bounty hunter. And I was amazed when he removed uh, helmets and he told me that she was actually a princess. I'm very proud uh, that Loi joins the galaxy of strong female characters from Star Wars. She gets this like uh, staff knife arm thing. Like a stiletto. It's like a yeah, stiletto. It's a stiletto. It is a legit stiletto. It's so fucking cool. I never knew that's what that was. <laughs> I always thought stilettos were just uh, heels. I mean, yeah. they're that that's too. Why, but... that's what, I, think that's why, I think that's why stiletto heels are called God, exactly. are named after that. Because they're just, they're so fucking like long. Yeah. And also you could use a stiletto heel like a weapon too. Yeah. If you wanted yeah. to. <laughs> I know. It's like a cool stiletto armband thing. Like it's gold and it kind of attaches to her wrist yeah oh, it's fucking yeah dope. it's so cool and it, it also is kind of again that kind of like very hidden because like, it looks almost like a piece of her costume yeah right so it's this very like hidden like going back to like that kind of uh that archetypical like femme fatale character like spy, like, spy mm-hmm. yeah like it's it fits into that kind of motif um yeah she returns to the performance floor and the color shifted dramatically at this point. Um, it's now this like deep red and darkness kind of overtakes the cabaret when she re-enters. Um, and then we see the final flashback as the Imperial officer takes away Loie's son um, and fire kind of like consumes the background and the ATATs are just like destroying the city. Um we cut back to present moment, and uh, this is where we get the frog who conductor who, in the <laughs> so alien language, good. says, uh, "I have a bad feeling about this." <laughs> but his voice, his the, the 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 language that he has is so funny. I, I can't even like it. imitate it's it. It's so good. phenomenal. I love when frogs are are humanoid. I love when yeah. frogs are people. Like it's so I mean, good. Honestly, I, yeah. There's just something about frogs that like. It, <laughs> <laughs> they're so instantly like funny and cute and silly and yeah. weird when they're, they're acting like people. It's so yep. good. Um, so she immediately goes back to her act and like her dance moves in this moment are much more aggressive. Like they're, they're not still dancer. Yeah. They're still dancer like, but she's moving much quickly, like more quickly. She's gonna fucking stab you. And she immediately mm-hmm. heads to where this imperial officer is, mm-hmm. um, and she has this uh, this moment where she goes, she pulls out her stiletto, and she's about to like stab him and then she stops herself um and in that moment she asks uh who the man is and he responds with the classic line you rebel scum um and then a fight breaks out um, how did he not why my first reaction this is this is just silly this is like a stupid it's not a criticism it's i, I just my first thought when i saw this was like why did he not because she didn't actually stab him why didn't he just think it was part of the show or why did she try to play it off like it was just part of the show That's like his good reaction is wow obviously this is a actual resistance fighter trying to kill me and not huh interest what a weird interactive part of the show this <laughs> yeah. isn't it's not a real criticism like it's not that's not what i needed but it was like a thought that i had when i was watching it because i'm just like that's god a- he like jumps from zero to 60 it's like as soon as he sees this lady it's just like you're obviously a rebel you rebel scum like <laughs> well i wonder if it's um I mean, I know you're not actually asking for an answer, but I wonder if it has to do with the fact that, spoiler, like, he is the same race. It's his, her son. But, like, oh, maybe shit, he just yeah. is, like, completely, like, insecure. Like, there's an insecurity of knowing that he is the same race as her. And yeah. he, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I he's got like a kind reading. of, like, he's kind of got of like, show who he is to everyone, right? He yeah. can't have yeah. this person even making him look weak or stupid. So he does, I will say he does like immediately, like once the fight 
kind of like like once they make it to the ground floor um he does say we should have shut this place down long ago so part of me wonders if they had they had like suspicions about it Mm -hmm. Um, that makes sense but like also to i don't know like they they totally could have done both of those things derek have like played it off or like just been like oh this must have been a misunderstanding (laughs) i'm glad that they didn't because there's only 18 minutes in this episode so like it's fine (laughs) uh it's just i'm actually now i'm glad that 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 i asked that question because i feel like both of y'all's explanations actually kind of help make me like it a little more because (laughs) i think it just kind of supports that whole reaction actually so never mind (laughs) good it's good Um, (laughs) one thing this moment was so fucking funny to me it's so silly but like so he, 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 like I said, he says, like, We should have shut down this place long ago. Okay, okay, let's okay. go, let's go, let's go. Imperials, like, immediately, like, at first they don't know what to do, but then when he says something, they, like, immediately are like, oh, we know what to do. And, like, oh, shit. they're like, the, the, like, the bigger officer who, like, kind of first comes in is like, he's like, okay, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. This is probably, like, the first fight he has ever been in as a stormtrooper, actually. They're probably a little intoxicated, too. They're like, oh, all right, yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm okay, I'm okay, let's go. It was so funny to me. Like, they were just, like, lemmings. Like, they were just like, okay, okay, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." Like, I don't know. Just the way he said that, like, made me laugh so much. Um, Yeah, it's good. um, Not going to break, just kind of like the dancing, not going to break down this entire fight sequence, because there's a lot, and it takes up a bulk of kind of the latter part of the episode. But, um We'll just kind of mention some of the major beats um, to touch on, but um, Louis fights back um, and she's like using her costume and like the ribbons that come off of it um, and her arm dagger to like deflect blaster bolts and shit, which is so cool. Um, cool. And she just is like generally just like a really hard target to hit. Um, She also has this moment where she like wraps up Imperials with like her ribbons and like throws them. And I'm just like, God damn, like. And it's 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 hard for me not to do this, but like because it's Star Wars, I'm often just kind of like, is she force sensitive? But like, there also doesn't need to be that explanation. Like, no. you know what I mean? Like, I think it's yeah. just kind of she like she could just be really skilled. She's just a badass. Yeah. And it's just like kind of stylized fighting too. But it's like it's like it's like superhero like fighting. Like, yeah, there's like some like Wonder Woman vibes with with her in Ooh. some cases. You know, I like, did wonder the way she deflects stuff, especially. I did wonder though if if there was some type of force sensitivity with this race for the reason only being like, why did they? take the baby in the first place like but i guess they were just recruiting and maybe you know you know what i mean like they were taking all the men or the boy children you know i don't know we don't know that um but yeah i have no idea why they took it in the first place sensitive like i don't understand but we have no idea they're just doing shitty things because they're shitty people so (laughs) Um, you know stealing babies is like oh they're like oh that's an evil thing we can do exactly (laughs) also go steal a baby (laughs) we should mention um fucking frog guy Keeps playing at his DJ booth the yes. entire time. Oh my god, I love. Uh, <laughs> it's so fucking great. I need He's him and like, Max well, Rebo to do like a mashup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. Um, anyway, uh, Haiti returns to her aid. She uh, starts deploying like a gas and turning off the lights. Um, she has some really cool moments. She like grabs a blaster and is like hanging from a ribbon on the ceiling, like taking aim as she's like kind of careening through the air. Um, thought that was so fucking cool. Yes. Um, she battles a ton with that KX droid as Louis kind of, um, tries to like get the Imperial officer alone. And she ends up throwing that Imperial officer through the ceiling. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but like everybody's watched the episode at this point, so I don't feel like I don't need to mention it. But like, yeah, the Imperial officer 
wasn't the same one from her flashback. That's kind of like, we learned that we know that at this point. And then obviously I think the inference were like, okay, this is her son. As like, soon as I saw his eye I patch, I assumed because I, just cause I of the did eye color. not, I didn't connect any of those dots until the very end. I uh, well, that's I awesome. I don't know why. Cause it, yeah, it's, it's, it is extremely, all the clues are there. It's extremely obvious. Like the eye patch thing did not even click with me until like what, after the fact I wasn't, it wasn't even really thinking about the whole like parallel to Darth, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker thing at all until afterwards. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess <laughs> that's yeah. all there. I don't know why none of that clicked with me. I guess I was just so into like Louis as a character and all that. Yeah. St- all, all the actual like action was just so fucking cool that I wasn't even like thinking. I wasn't like thinking ahead of what I was seeing. I think I was actually mesmerized and engrossed in the beautiful dancing and everything. That yeah. Was happening in front of me. Well, and I will say too, from the filmmaker focus, they they again everything was yeah. intentional. Like they meant for this to sure. be kind of like the inverse of like the Luke Skywalker Darth Vader yeah. relationship, um, which it's kind of inverse in like every sense, right? Because yeah. it's like, which is really cool. Um, I like, I love that. I, I I gain more appreciation for it when I realize that because it doesn't feel like. There's times when you do those types of references and they just feel kind of heavy handed and it doesn't yeah. hear, I think because the, the flip and dynamic itself is just so interesting and then the setting for it is so interesting. And I think it also helps just the fact that they aren't Jedi or whatever either. Like, right. they are, you know, like they, they do their play on lightsabers because it's Kane versus stiletto, but like it's not a lightsaber. So it automatically kind of gives it a different feel. And I think that helps a lot. Um, it's just it's funny that there's literally an episode this season called I Am Your Mother. Yeah. Right. This this is the real I Am Your Mother episode. It is. For sure. <laughs> and I was going to say, too, when you were talking about how like a lot of times that those references are, uh, you know, pretty heavy handed, like in in a good way in the, in I Am Your Mother, it is very heavy handed because it's intended to be like a joke, you know, yeah. uh, whereas yeah. this is very much and especially like if you don't know going up to that point. And it is kind of cool that you don't because like, yeah, in a way, Derek, you kind of got like how audiences got like the I am your father a little bit to like a yeah. very lesser extent, yeah. you know, <laughs> but for real though. Yeah. It really is just sort of like, Oh my God, that's her son. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's like still, there's something that. wild about that. You know? Right. Like I just think, I think that that's so cool to like, I, 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 I will admit, I don't remember like at what point I started thinking about like if that was her son, but like there was like a moment where I was like, Oh, I bet that's, kind of what it didn't is help but that i was screaming it the whole time because i was thinking from like a podcast perspective like oh, sure. what am i gonna yeah. comment on and i was like i bet Makes you that's sense. her son like he's a fucking eye patch like yeah. his one eye is the same exact color as like the other eyeball and, like but it was really cool to see how they utilize that to snuff out his identity as this race because yeah. like not only does he have the eye patch, which probably has no value other than to cover up the other color of his eye, mm-hmm. yeah. um, he like his horn. I'm going forward a little bit, but That's his fine. horns are like sanded down or like yeah. cut off. Which, but he's wearing the hat, the you know the Empire no, hat, yeah. officer hat. So you you don't even see the scars yeah. until the very very end. So. It's just so yeah. brutal, like to be like cut off your horns or something. Yeah. Like, ugh. yeah, and they have kind of this so this is basically like where the episode starts to just kind of close out. Um, they have like the interaction on the roof. Um, it's kind of really interesting to me, I think because she like obviously tries not to fight back. She disarms him, (laughs) disarms him. Um, uh, and then, um, like hugs him. Like she just embraces him. And there's this, I think this realization moment when, when she does that, like he's tries to fight back for a second, but then just kind of like, I think knows when she starts telling him, um, Mm -hmm. And then 
that's when both kind of like the the resistance comes and um the empire comes to kind of take him back we have these like really kind of devastating moments where like the ATATs just like lay waste to the cabaret which like i didn't Again, I didn't pick up on that on the first time, my first watch through. But like when I watched it again, I was like, oh, they like completely destroy that fucking building. Um, And we also have this is just I just took this note. We have a cool Matrix jump. (laughs) Is what I said, because it like it literally is a mirror. Now you spit my eye. Sorry. (laughs) It literally is the mirror of the Matrix jump. And I also thought it was because it's cool because we have the mirror of Merovigian in this. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Like it like they literally. ah, I don't know. It just I was like, yeah. That's so cool. We kind of have the mirror forgiveness, too, of Luke forgiving his father when she forgives him. Like, she hugs him and says, "Yeah, I'm not going to fight you, but... Yeah, and, yeah. She, and she, like, leaves a tracking device on, uh, on like, a piece of her... I couldn't really figure out what it was, but she, like, leaves a piece of her costume, I think, with him. And there's, yeah. like, a tracking device on it. Um and you see that kind of at the end of the episode and she also talks about like she has a way back to her or he has a ba- way back to her and she has a way back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's really kind of where the episode closes out. Um, so powerful. So yeah. cool. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Was there anything else that y'all wanted to uh, touch on with this one? Uh, that poor cleaning droid that gets ripped in oh half my god. by the battle Oh my George. god! <laughs> I forgot about... Yes! Oh my god. Okay, so I... The the cleaning droid actually kind of reminded me a little bit of Rosie from the Jetsons. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because she, sure. she had like poor the wheels. Rosie. like Yeah, I don't know. That was just like my immediate thought. Um, I wasn't sure if that was like an inspiration, but I just George thought that was Jetson cool. George Jetson gets buff one day and just rips Rosie in half for not oh god. cleaning the house. Um, a couple other things i'll just call out um the sound in this one was really interesting um the like not even just the music but like the actual like sound design like there was lots of like fluttering from her costume yeah Yeah. gasps from the audience and then even like when the sun kind of like walks in initially the cane like on the floor like they did a phenomenal job on the sound design of this one like it was peak I think in the the filmmaker focus, I watched that too, and I think that they said that this was the first time 
that studio like a shit had done like were it just doing animation like that whole studio was tasked with like casting and recording and i think doing the music which i think means that they probably did the sound effects as well yeah. so like i think that I, I get the impression that this was just the studio just absolutely going like all out on every capacity of it. Like, so Hell I think, yeah. which probably yeah, I think helps, uh, probably helps because that means that they're going like, like way overboard almost with like the sound effects and the fluttering of her yeah. costume and everything. Oh, it was but so I think good. it gives it such a good, yeah, it's such a unique flair and such a, I don't know. It makes it even more immersive than it already was in the first place. Yeah. And it, it really adds to the animation. Like, like mm-hmm. it, it like it made it feel just so like you said immersive like it was so good mm-hmm. um, uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting about this one um, in the filmmaker focus Julien talked about how they brainstormed a bunch of different ideas uh, and he actually thought that this one wasn't going to be the one that Lucasfilm let them do because uh, and we just talked about this a little bit they taught he said that it didn't have anything to do with like lightsabers and Jedi so he didn't think they were going to want to like go yeah. for it um, but I think it shows that the studios evolved quite a bit mm-hmm. and that the, actually I think some of it some of the collaboration with Disney has helped in some ways sure um, yeah. but yeah it's just it's just evolved in a great way and that's part of the hallmark of this whole series I feel like is like oh uh, yeah just opening up Star Wars and and opening it up in such a cool way to make it more accepting and unique and or just showing that you know it's not just like <laughs> it's just not like geeky white dudes who like Star Wars like people right. grew up with it in other mm-hmm. countries and they have the same passion and feeling for it you know and they relate to it a different way than we do yeah i do think that like an advantage that Star Wars has with being linked to Disney other than, you know, the loads and loads of money is like, I do think (laughs) that for all of Disney's faults as a, you know, evil corporation, that's just evil by that's all corporations that big are like, I do think that Disney has pretty consistently, you know, in the last few decades, especially been like, in seems to have like, been actively interested in trying to integrate like other cultural influences. Yeah. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not done well and it's just like white guys, you know, riffing on stuff they learned from other countries, which isn't great. Uh, But I do think that, and, and you know, it's always with the intention of like, well, the more global we get in our storytelling, the more money we can make globally. Like I, you know, they're, they're doing it for, they're purposely doing it for diversity points because it makes them money and everything. But the advantage is it does create more opportunities for people in other countries to tell these types of stories and to expose. Right. Like this is the per this this is like the best case scenario I think for that because it's yeah. sort of like Disney can be like hey look everyone we're woke it's great um but but it actually is kind of like benefiting everybody because yeah. we get to hear hear and see stories from places and types of stories that we've never seen before in Star Wars or maybe even in general for some of these places oh, for sure they're getting exposed to animation studios that we would have never crossed paths with and then you know learning about history of other other cultures and other countries and those people who are in those studios in those other countries are getting loads and loads of Disney Star Wars money yep. so it's exactly. like you know what works this is kind of works out this is yes. this is a good best case scenario i think even if their <laughs> motives are not necessarily like, yeah. always the best like it, 
the fact that they're kind of doing it this way and not right. other ways um, yeah. where they yeah. could like... It's a win-win scenario. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win scenario. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd much rather them do this than like, you know, the way they did like Pocahontas or oh whatever. Oh my God, so, yeah. You know. <laughs> Thousand percent. Sorry, really random segue, but I got really excited because I saw that Disney World had a pride parade. Like all of the Disney characters were like in pride outfits and like... That was pretty fucking yeah, cool. Yeah. I was really excited about that. Stitch um, is a leather daddy. Oh my god, really? <laughs> not in. Not, I don't think. I mean, oh. I, don't, I don't think it was the official. I don't think that was an official. I have to look into it. I don't know. I know now I've that seen, would be embracing gay culture. Yeah, like that would uh, be a I, legit. It's Stitch in a leather jacket and a, and a, and, a, and a leather hat. Dude, um, fuck yeah! It's, it's some kind of Disney Pride thing. I, I'm assuming it was just you know. Someone it might have been. Costume, I don't know, but, but it was a know. great little. Parade. It's really cool that they had an actual parade, like, yeah, which I, I like think that. is kind of neat. But, <sighs> well, all right, we still got a lot to talk about. We might go into hour three with this one. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so let's jump into episode nine, which again, this is the closer. We're jumping around a little bit, but um, really wanted to get your take on this one, Derek, because I think sure. I definitely thought this was one that you would uh, connect with and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was uh, episode nine, Owl Song. And Disney Plus description for this one is an alien child who longs to sing is raised by her loving but stern father to stay quiet because of the calamitous effect her voice has on the crystals in the nearby mines. Um, This one was uh, directed by uh, uh, South African studio uh, called Triggerfish. Um, And I should note it's... um, they're primarily in South Africa, but they're also they have locations in Ireland um, and uh, Europe and the Americas or teams. Oh. Sorry, I should say they have teams working remotely in Ireland, Europe and throughout the Americas. Oh, OK. I see. What yeah. You mean. Gotcha. Um, sorry, I butchered that. completely. Okay. Okay. It's a South African studio. They do have an Irish like I think he- another Irish headquarters, but then, yeah, remote folks throughout the world um one of the things that's interesting that came up about them in the their filmmaker focus um is that they're uh (laughs) they're located in cape town and they're located in like a refurbished barn uh which i thought was really cool (laughs) my my thought because when i watched that too and i heard them talk about that (laughs) that, which that barn is beautiful by the way like they showed pictures of it that is yes i would absolutely love i wish that's where i worked like it's Mm -hmm. beautiful but my first thought was like Triggerfish animated this in a barn with a box of scraps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, to be fair, it is like a barn and it's like a on a working farm. Like they do say that, like which I it's thought was so cool. cool. Yeah, How fucking rad is that man? It's so <laughs> awesome. Um, they've been working from 1998 through uh, 2008. Uh, they've actually produced animation for Sesame Workshop, uh, the South African version kind of of Sesame Street. Um, Tekalani Sesame, I think is what it's called. I don't know why I have that note there. Um, no, it's co- yeah, it's called Takalani Sesame. Takalani Sesame. Okay, cool. I don't know why that confused me. It literally had <laughs> Sesame in the name. Um, as well as the uh, U.S. Uh, and domestic uh, international versions of uh, various different like other kids programs from their website they say after 26 years triggerfish continues to celebrate distinct and original creative voices and animation features and television um, their current productions include mama k's team four which they produce for netflix um, kia and komaja heroes which was for 
Uh, and I don't know what this is, but it's like Hasbro E1. I'm guessing that's like um, that's their entertainment stuff. Their entertainment, yeah, yeah. They they do you know they're they're the ones who produce like Power Rangers the ah. show and you know and uh, Transformer ones. Transformer shows and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Oh, I see. Duh. Like it's literally Hasbro. Like okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. I don't. I I'm having like such trouble like reading my own notes today. I don't know what the probably because I did these part of the notes. It's also probably because my screen, my uh, phone screen is cracked. I just realized. Yes, <laughs> it's actually <laughs> difficult to read through it. Um, yeah. So they worked on that. Um, they also are working on, and this is one of the tie-ins to anthology. Um, they're working on a new anthology short film collection called Kizaki Moto Generation Fire for Disney Plus. Um, it's due to release July 5th, so a little under a month. Um, okay. And the trailer for it looks really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I watched the trailer, like, I'm really excited for that. Like, I'm going to check that out. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a really cool project that they're 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 working on. Uh, they also worked on the Academy Award-nominated Revolting Rhymes, which an, is an adaptation of the Roald Dahl book, um, which I believe is of the same name, um, and uh, have also worked produced three feature films, Adventures in Zam- Zambezia, uh, Kumba, and Seal Team, um, which Seal Team sounded really familiar to me. And uh, I want to say, oh my gosh, in one of these movies, the actor who plays J. Jonah Jameson, I think, is in one J- of them. J.K. Huh. Simmons? Yes. Interesting. I think. I might, Is it about I'm going to look this up and make sure that I got that right and I might cut this out. But I, I'm pretty sure I saw his name when uh, that when I was like looking at the Wikipedia I for mean, it. That's cool. He does a lot of voice work. Sure. Is it about a team, like a SEAL team, like military or a team of SEALs, the animal? I believe it's about a SEAL. Like it's about an aquatic it's both. It's about, it's okay. like, it's a Amazing. cartoon. It's about, it's a, a cartoon that's about, uh, like aquatic seals, like doing seal team. Yeah. JK Simmons I, is in it as well as Dolph Lundgren. Uh, what the fuck? God, what? yeah. Um, uh, a bunch of just, yeah. Patrick Warburton's in it. Um, uh, that sounds like the greatest show ever made. I've never heard of this, but yeah, it insane. sounds cool. Yeah. Um, Never mind hamsters that investigate. What about seals? Right. That do yeah, seals. What shit? are these like really random, like CG animated shows that we've been getting of like hamsters that investigate and like fucking CG, like seal you can team? Do whatever the fuck you yeah. want. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, There's octonauts. We have octonauts. That's true. So, yeah. Who knows? In the filmmaker focus. Um, Actually, this is not in the, the filmmaker focus. Uh, one of the things I, I looked up was uh, an interview with the directors for this one, um, just mm. to get like a little bit more background. So they did an interview with Good Things Guy, which is a South African news site that talks mm. about like um, lots of just different entertainment stuff, but then just kind of a lot of different. It's just a, it's just a news site, um, right. essentially. Um, and Nadia and Daniel, who I'll introduce them in a second, um, talk about how. In this interview, they, they get really personal about, like, how, where they get inspiration from this. They talk about how the relationships between the characters in this story um, are based on personal experiences, Daniel and his grandmother, um, Nadia and uh, her father, and then her relationship with singing, which she talks about that in the filmmaker focus as well of, like, singing being a very important thing to her um, because she is a singer as well as an animator. Um and uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that she talked about how Kratu, one of the characters we'll talk about in a second, was based on her cousin, who is, uh, she describes as a shaman and a representative of the native oh, people yeah. of South Africa. Um, so cool. Really fucking cool. 
jumping right in, let's go ahead and I guess just transition to talking about uh, the cast and uh, crew of this one. So, like I said, this one, um, I mentioned Nadia and Daniel. This was written and directed by Nadia Darius and Daniel Clark. Um, Nadia is a director, animator, and co-founder of Goon Valley Animation um, with an avocation for uh, songwriting as well. Um, she was born in Cape Flats, uh, South Africa. She's worked on high-end animation, film, and motion design as an animator, project manager, creative director, and director since 2015. Um, her experience includes animating at Triggerfish Studios, um, and she worked on kind of the award women the award-winning BBC film Stickman, and she also worked on Revolting Rhymes and something called Highway Rat. I don't know what... Highway Rat sounds cool, too. Highway Rat sounds yeah. dope. Uh, cool-ass sounds animal. Sounds terrifying. Yeah. Animated, shena- animated animals. I want to see them all. Animated shenanigans. <laughs> uh, uh, and then we have uh, Daniel Clark, who also is a Cape Town-based director and artist, um, and he's been working in animation at Triggerfish since 2008. Uh, he served as a production designer, uh, art director, and director on projects such as uh, the feature film Kumba, which I just mentioned. He's also worked on BBC Stickman, um, The Snail and The Whale, which sounds really cool too. Um, and then in 2018, along with uh, James Clark and Daniel Snadden, he completed uh, the graphic novel Kariba. Um, so he's a graphic novel kind of writer as well. Our song is a story about a little girl who feels a calling to use her voice to sing. Strange things happen when she sings. And so she has to make a choice either to sing or not. And then she has to deal with the consequences of her choice. I'm always looking for the life experience of the writer, the creator, the director, and how that life experience shapes their storytelling. Nadja is a singer herself. She had that in her background. It just brought even more heart to the story, I think. I think Nadia and Dan have been really incredible co-directors on this story. Dan has an art director background, so he's really brought a lot of vibrant aesthetic to the piece, as well as, you know, his own creative perspective in terms of the direction. He's a real visionary. One thing that was actually kind of interesting from that good guy uh, interview that I talked about earlier was they talked about having the two directors talk about having grown up near each other and working on projects together, but never really like overlapping. Um, And so this was actually like the first project they like really heavily like worked on together, Mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Wow. Um, And it, fucking worked yeah, <laughs> we'll incredible say. together. Uh, Daniel, yeah. Daniel talked about how he handled a lot of the like storyboarding and then Nadia was like really uh, important for like making edits and stuff like that so they really brought like different strength and like really found a way to like work really well together on it which is neat yeah very cool and then we have the cast um, and I just want to point out like I think it's really so, so Al is actually voiced by two different um, actors yeah. um, one of the little actually sings like yeah so there's an actor for al who does dialogue and it's empilo yanti um she's been in coco the money bunny and a tv uh, which was a tv movie yeah coco the money bunny um and then uh we have uh Dinia DeToy, who is the singing voice, um, and she is in. She's uh, been in Kaya and the Kimoja Heroes. Um, so thought that was really neat that they have two different yeah. actors kind of doing her that's voice. That's like classical Disney. Yeah, I yes. say they, that's a lot of Disney princesses actually. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, we have Tamisho Masha as Abat. Um, he's an actor and producer known for Catch Fire, Beyond Brothers, and uh, Mandela's Gun. 
Um, and then we have Cynthia Erivo as Kratu. Um, she's a singer, actress, and songwriter. She won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album for The Color Purple um, from the Ooh, musical wow. production she was in, as well as a Tony for Best Leading Actress in a Musical and Daytime Emmy for the same production. Um, Dang. And she doesn't get to sing in this. I know. I know. I know. Um, she was Harriet Tubman in the 2019 film Harriet. Um, and she oh, also, wow. yeah, she also has roles in Bad Times at El Royale, Housebroken, Chaos Walking, The Outsider, and portrayed Aretha Franklin in the docudrama series Genius. Holy um, shit. Yeah. I, t- I had no idea that's who this was. That's nope. so cool. Yeah, me either. She's fucking beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that, I just, she's beautiful. And this character is really pretty, too. Yeah. I love the character that she plays. She's so mm-hmm. badass. We have um, two really badass, like, I don't know, women. like, very, like, um, dexterous, like, jumping. Like, Jedi usually are dexterous anyway, but both of these characters are, like, so poised. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. Uh, and then, finally, we have uh, Faith Balwai as Atu. Uh, and they've been in uh, Blood Psalms and The Domestic Flatland. One thing I do want to mention about the cast, the directors in the studio made a decision uh, to only cast local actors as the Corbin people. Um, the Corbin people being kind of the main species that we see here, Al and Abat are both Corbins. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad that yeah. they did that. Um, and they, they, like, really wanted to keep that aspect of it, like really local as well. Tamisha Masha, the actor who portrayed Abbott, um, he had this phenomenal quote in the filmmaker focus. I'm going to splice his audio in here because I'm not going to say it as good as he's going to say it. The South African sensibility in Song of Hours is brought into this film in a very clever way. First of all, the voices that you hear, the South African accent is a very specific one. It sounds like nothing else on earth. You must learn restraint, Tao. And then there's aspects of that that I think are carried through with, with our culture of Ubuntu. I am because you are. And I think that someone like Abat feels that way. And I think that's definitely the tone of this film, where a father who is very protective and loving towards his daughter has to learn to let go and let her be the force. So that sentiment, I think, is really powerful. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about, like, Ubuntu um, in a second, um, because I think it's really, really cool. Um, And, yeah, I just we will put a pin in that and return to that later on. Um, But, yeah, I just think all of that is, like, again, talked about, like, being intentional, like, all the directors and stuff like that being intentional with these films. I think very much, like, the intentionality of, like, everything they did with this one, like, really, really shines through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fully agree. All right, so jumping into the uh, the story, um, this one's actually kind of fun because it it opens with a crawl in a way. Uh, <laughs> it's less of a crawl and more of like static words on the screen, but the sentiment is still there. <laughs> I think of like it being like a classic Star Wars crawl yeah um and it reads uh the world of corba was once rich with force attuned kyber crystals uh sorry force attuned kyber the crystals at the heart of the jedi lightsaber the kyber power was praised throughout the stars until an ancient order of sith poisoned it leaving it corrupted with the blood red glow of the dark side over generations, Corvus people learned to mine the overcorrupted Kyber for the Jedi, who, through painstaking effort, could restore the crystals to their natural, harmonious state. Um, so right off the bat, like, we have some, like, I don't want to call it, like, deep lore necessarily, but, like, that's some, like, extended lore shit. Like, Absolutely. Like, can I ask a question? What When did Kyber crystals 
first become a thing? Like, did, were those mentioned From in the original the trilogy at all? No. Really? But, no. But they were something that George Lucas did make. Um, they were his invention, sadly. Um, <laughs> Why is that sadly? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, not really. It. I just get annoyed with George Lucas still. Anyway, oh. um, nerd. Um, they <laughs> became part of, like, what is now the legends lore in like the books and in, mm-hmm. I know specifically, I don't, this was not the very first inception of Kuiper crystals, but I know they were in KOTOR. Um, they are the mm-hmm. foundation of how a Jedi and or a Sith make their lightsaber. Um, yeah. And they might've like, been, they might have been mentioned in the, the first movies, but I don't think so. Or they might've been, I think they might've been something that was taken out of the movies as well. Um, gotcha. Before I say all of this, let me look it up really fast because yeah, that's fine. I like actually, I knew I knew that Kyber, like I know what Kyber crystals are. Like it's this wasn't my first exposure to Kyber crystals or whatever. But it always has been one of those things where it's sort of like I feel like that's n- always been. I don't know. I f- I just I was just curious like when that came into play with stuff because I feel like I never knew about Kyber crystals until like I just started actually actively reading yeah. about Star Wars. So stuff, you know what I have just looked up uh, and learned is that the first mention of a kyber crystal in modern context was in season two of the clone wars in 2009 uh what? okay no, which that doesn't sound right it is so much older than that oh no that's true because wouldn't kotor no kotor, KOTOR yeah was it before that no i don't know but i feel like it was it's way older than that hold on i mean it was in so it's it was uh, bu- 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 Oh, I see. Yeah. Kyber crystals date all the way back to early drafts of what will become a new hope, yeah. uh, where okay. a Kyber served as a MacGuffin, one of the crystals that allowed uh, the force to be collected and transmitted through it. George dropped that idea, feeling that the force. 1974, dude, yeah. baby. But like, it wasn't used necessarily. Right. Like, it was thought of. Um, but it was in precisely. Uh, it wasn't an ex- the fir- uh, the first expanded universe novel, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, gotcha so i was right yeah yeah you were it's right. just it's always it's always seemed like one of those things that's like a really cool idea like that there's these like crystals that like you put in your lightsaber like and shit yeah. like yeah that's just such a cool thing that i don't it, so it's and i don't know how many stories have like really gone like heavy on using that as a plot device or anything like that um versus you know just background lore and stuff mm-hmm. um so it's it's cool to see this episode and and ki- the kyber crystals are at the core of it because i feel like there's so much cool stuff that you could theoretically explore with it and they Absolutely. do in this yeah. episode you know the, there's some really great um clone wars episodes mm-hmm. um the where padawans. they have to like the padawans like have to mm-hmm. go get their kyber crystal um gotcha there's some set- central plot in uh Jedi. I always get the the two games confused. The first Jedi Fallen Order uh, game, where you have to like go get a Kyber crystal and bleeding a Kyber crystal. That's been a thing as well. Like th- like what they're talking that's about. Kylo, what Kylo Ren's lightsaber is. Yeah, yes, that's why they're red. They're red. That's yeah. like Sith. Like they just like feed bad energy kind of into it like essentially right. um was really cool in the Ahsoka novel. I know we're going real deep into this, but like in the Ahsoka novel, she actually feels the call of a Sith of like a uh, uh, Inquisitor's lightsaber, the crystal calling to her. And she's able to like uh, purify it like on the spot. And like, it like basically like explodes the lightsaber that the dude's holding. Um, And so like, again, like that purification, that bleeding, like that's something that exists like 
in other lore kind of stuff. And it's just really interesting that like they pulled that in because I will say in the filmmaker focus, I didn't, a lot of the studios talk about like their admiration for star Wars. I didn't really get that much of it from this filmmaker focus necessarily. Not that they weren't, but like, this is one of the ones that has like the most, like it has like that extended lore feel to it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's just kind of interesting. And Mace Windu's lightsaber is uh, deoxygenated blooding. Oh, that's why it's purple. Yeah, I deoxygenated. So it is a is a yellow lightsaber like when someone pees on the Kyber crystal. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Cool. Good you, to know. You bleed a lightsaber, or you bleed a crystal. You piss on a crystal. You know. It's all it's all got to be bodily fluids. That's Put a crystal you- up your butt. Get a brown lightsaber. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! Oh. White lightsaber, you gotta come on it, man. Oh my god! <laughs> I was. This oh, is yeah, like, Mace Windu's is a uh, Grimace come. Oh, no, it all comes back to that. <laughs> it, it all comes, comes back, back to Grimace come. <laughs> I just want to point out that this is probably one of the more, like, child-friendly episodes of this series so far. Why did you have me on for the most child-friendly <laughs> episode? That was your mistake. That was our mistake. No, I don't care. I'm just saying, I just think it's funny that we went down this path of pissing on and like, shitting right on and coming on lightsaber crystals and we're about to go into like the cutest fucking episode of Visions <laughs> to date. It is really fucking cute. Um, yeah, it really is. No, I, uh, that's so funny. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're past the opening crawl. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I, I did want to just like jump in, I guess at this point and then talk, I don't, what am I saying right let's now? Let's go, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> just after, talk about the episode. After yeah. the crawl, after the crawl, um, we, uh, we see this like picturesque mountainside spots of like moss and these other colorful plants kind of, uh, like appearing on it. And we zoom in and we see Al, a Corbin, this adorable felt textured, fuzzy green creature with so pink cute. cheeks and blue hair, just like collecting these flowers. Um, so Dude, fucking adorable designs. They're yeah. They're like little green bears things. Like mm-hmm. they're so and little whiskers. Like, and I did, uh, yeah. I, this is a good spot to just talk about like the, the, the character designs because yeah. kind of like um uh, into the or in the star I always want to call it into the stars but in the stars um this is like a CG animated show that's intended to mimic and look like stop motion right yeah, yeah. um so it uses like a very like slower fl- uh, f- or, or lower frame rate I guess would be the right term mm-hmm. um, but also yeah. like it's des- the material design is very important the textures are so different from each one. Yes. Like, like yeah. the Wallace and Gromit studio, who did I Am Your Mother, like, it's very claymation. Like, our, mm-hmm. our what, what we, I guess, usually think of in terms of claymation. Mm-hmm. Like, stop or stop motion. motion. I keep saying claymation, but because I mean, of but, the but clay. They are, but, yeah. like, Ardman does do, like, claymation because yeah. they use yes. clay for those characters. So yeah, so Which that's is a diff- so accurate. Exactly. And so, like, we and we've seen this. It's just cool that the experimentation continues because stop motion can be with any as long as you're incorporating some sort of like physical entity that is being digitized Mm -hmm. or, you know, moved around. And it was so cool to see these little felt creatures like outside of the animation as their own little like things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just want one. I just want one as a, not (laughs) like, I don't want to enslave a, actual one i want oh a I want no a one was thinking one. that no until one, yeah. you said it okay i just felt bad i didn't want anyone to think i wanted to keep no. one as a pet 
No, no one thought that. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, well, you, know, you probably have the background on your notes, like talking about I was going to say, yeah, that the, they had, they created these like felt creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, like, again, this isn't like, this isn't what we would traditionally ascribe to it's being stop physical. motion. It's not physical stop, stop motion. motion, but yeah. they did make these felt creatures and design them so that they could really get the sense of like, even like the fibers, like how the fibers would like Felting look. is also really fucking hard. I tried <laughs> it in one of my weird crafting things and felting is really, it's just really tough. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool that they did that. And they didn't say like, they, they weren't like taking it specifically for the models either, necessarily either, but to see how they looked and how they would function and how like the wind would like affect them and stuff like that. But then also yeah. too to just have that as like a reference point for the animators and stuff like that. We wanted the sort of the design philosophy of our film to feel like the audience could reach in and want to touch the world, be in the world and touch it. And to build the puppets with the felt and the leather, I think we just really wanted the surfacing artists and all the artists to look at something real, to have, not to copy it, but just to, to look at how things really are and to feel it when they were creating. By being able to build them using the materials that we were going to use in CG, we were able to see where the leather would be more worn, how the flyaway hairs of the felt would react. Yeah, I know they said like they wanted they wanted the audience to like want to like reach out and touch yeah. the characters. They and do. like and I mean it's true, but I do think that like having that physical representation for them to work off of probably really helped with that because there's so much detail in what felt looks like if you're looking really closely at it. And so when you're reflecting that in like the digital characters that they create and making that felt look as real, like as much like real felt as possible, it does make you just want to just like pick them up like they're little dolls, you know, like you want to pet their felt, their felt fur and everything. Yeah. Well, and, and it's cool too, because like you, like I said that you can even, there's moments where you see like I said, the fibers, like the fibers yeah. o- like coming off of it, like ref- like in the sunlight. Like, yeah, they did such a great job with like how they animated these. It's really amazing. And it is like like stop motion is at such an interesting place now, I think, because it like physical stop motion can be smoothed over so well with like, you know, di- you know, just digital editing after the fact, even if you're doing you know, using the actual mm-hmm. like tangible puppets or whatever like it can be smooth over so much that it'll just look like a cgi animated movie and then conversely cgi has gotten so good that you can create something and make it mimic stop motion almost perfectly without having to have the physical hands-on stuff anymore um and so i feel like on both ends of the spectrum i feel like you have places that like try to like work play within that space like you have something like this which is sort of like they could make a very fluid cgi you know typical cgi animated uh thing that probably would look really cool and be really pretty but by trying to really commit to like we want this to look as like as real and tangible and physical as possible um i think it 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 gives it such a unique flair um Mm -hmm. and then the other end like you have stuff like um, like Wendell and Wild um, that came out recently. Like they went, they were very particular. Like that was an actual physical stop motion movie, like done classically. But they like made it a point to like not smooth stuff out in post as much. Like like you could still see like some fingerprints in the clay oh, of some that. characters. So cool. And and it's yeah, because it's sort of like if we're gonna commit to doing 
physical stop motion, which is really hard and like a huge hassle and such a complex art form. Like you kind of want that to reflect on screen. Yeah. That yeah. That's what you did. You want that, that work. You don't, it because the whole appeal of stop motion really is that it doesn't look like, like as fluid. It, it doesn't look like fluid animation. Like it, it just, cause it, 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 because it isn't like, I think that's what makes it look so interesting. Um, and so, so just to like sort of see, you know, artists playing in that space, I think is so interesting to me, given that like we have that technology and I feel like, like this kind of stuff, like stop motion stuff is interesting to me personally because it's like it kind of embraces like the flaws yeah. in a positive way. Like you are looking for you want you want stuff to look a little bit more fake <laughs> than Absolutely. what pristine animation looks like. And that makes it look more interesting to watch and makes it feel more unique. Um and the other the other thing I wanted to call out a comparison to make is there's a movie on uh, on Netflix called The House, um, and that one it reminded me a lot of this, not in story at all because The House is actually very dark, but it's um it's like the that is a physical stop motion movie, but all the characters are like animated similarly with like felt, like all the creatures and puppets that they made were all like kind of made of felt, um so it's like the same sort of textural thing that you have going on and and i do think that like yeah it's just it's just really it's and it's the same deal you just want to like reach out and touch those characters because they just seem like they're probably are so comfortable to (laughs) yeah to to, to hold you know (laughs) as you're saying this we're petting our cat (laughs) (laughs) well and it's i i think that like even if they're not doing like the full like the full stop motion they definitely have that admiration like for yeah. the craft like that that having those yeah. flaws like that you mentioned of like having like the flyaway hairs like coming off of like Love it. how right. like when she's standing there and looking out over this like gorgeous landscape like it's yeah. just so it, yeah like they have you know, it it is even though they aren't physically doing stop motion it is such a love letter it to is it. yeah like like it's clear that like if they pro- probably if they had the time and money and skills to do it they would just do a regular stop motion movie but it's just like their capability is doing it on the computer and so they're doing it on the computer and making it look as much like if they couldn't do it on the computer as possible right mm-hmm. so yeah. i love that i i, I yeah gosh i love I just love this art form. Like, I just really, mm-hmm. I don't watch a ton of, like, stop motion stuff, but, like, anytime I do, I'm so fucking, like, just impressed, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just such a good, I love anything that, like, resembles kind of, like, the artistry or or is, like, that, like, really intense craftsmanship, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's it's just very, it's just beautiful. Um, I think that's the kind of stuff, not to, like, bring that into the conversation, it's a whole other conversation, but I think this is, that's the kind of stuff that, like, I don't think AI no matter how nope. good it gets, we'll ever be able to yep. do because the the flaws are kind of what's important in stop motion and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so special. Yeah, and AI is like a lot of stuff, especially right now, is just flawed, but not in like a sense that like yeah, it yeah. Looks good. I mean, I guess yep. There is something interesting and, and unique about the flaws in a lot of yeah. AI cr- generated true. stuff. That's just true. making me feel like <laughs> I want to vomit when I see it sometimes. Oh yeah, um, too many teeth, too many fingers. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. So jumping jumping in, so we have this kind of like opening on this like gorgeous kind of landscape. Um, I did want to mention that the kind of mountain that they uh we kind of open on and uh it's 
Ba- or like kind of the area in general is based on a place called Chapman's Peak. This is a mountain in South Africa that served as the inspiration for the mines where Corbin, the Corbins work. Um, and when you see the images of the two together, and we'll, again, we'll tweet out some pictures or put it on our Instagram. Um, it is kind of remarkable the job that they did of getting the textures and the color and just kind of like that general feel right. Um and it just it really feels well connected to kind of that South African landscape. Um, anyway, we kind of zoom it. Like I said, we, we see uh, we see Al, who is a Corbin. Um, she's kind of looking over those mountains that I just talked a little bit about. Um, and then we see a ship kind of arrive across um, the skyline. Um, it's this square ship that's also yellow. And it was really freaking adorable, the ship. I didn't. Okay. I could be, like, jumping to conclusions here, but the fact okay. that it was, like, this square ship and it was yellow, it reminded me of a fucking school Spongebob? bus. Oh. No. <laughs> but it felt... It felt yeah, 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 yeah. It felt like a school yeah. bus, like, arriving. Sense. I was just being stupid. Um, and, like, given where the episode goes kind of at the end, like, it's almost like oh, she's yeah. kind of, like, going off to school. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great... I didn't think about that. That's Yeah, I think that's a really smart insight, actually. I told you it was the opposite of what happened in um, Screechers Reached, where the child was taken off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, she's taken off to be a Jedi, possibly. Yeah, actually, it's a really nice... Not a Sith. Yeah, it's a really nice bookend. Um, Even though Screechers Reach was episode two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still, still. Um, Anyway, that uh, that ship kind of arrives, and... um, uh, Al returns home and we get this kind of adorable sequence of um, this is where we meet a bot her father um, and we get this adorable sequence um, he kind of mentions like um, this person who had arrived was like stopping off in town but then she was gonna like be there we get them kind of like eating together and like the way that they eat oh my god it's, it's so cute world. it's so fucking <laughs> cute num, 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 num. their mouths yes, like it was the perfect oh. it's like puppetry like it's yes. like digital puppetry. Yes. Like yes, I so wish good. that we could use clips because in our Instagram posts because I want to show this so bad. But yeah. I'll try to I find mean, a you can. No, they, <laughs> dude. As soon as I found a clip of this, it Disney was like, nope. Like, Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my can't. god, that sucks. Nope. Yeah, specifically with visions. Like I don't know. There's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to look into it. But yeah, it's yeah. so it's so cute the way they eat, and also too like it's very it's very obvious that Ow is like reflecting a bot like she like looks at him like he'll yeah. start chewing and do like the oh, nah, 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 and then she like looks at him for a second and then she does it yeah. <laughs> it's just so it's so they're cool. little so fangs cute. they have like tiny little fangies yeah so like what what general i know we've talked a lot about like the the how these characters are built but like like specifically the characters themselves like what do y'all think of them so far they're the cute, best great, they're so beautiful. cute perfect <laughs> perfect amazing yeah <laughs> um the a bot kind of um tells Al that like to keep her distance when the the guest kind of like arrives back again and she kind of like goes outside and um sits underneath of that ship um that we just talked about that yellow ship and at at that same time Kratu is talking with a bot Al kind of like sneaks up get starts eavesdropping a little bit um and we learn that Kratu who is that guest that has just arrived is a Jedi um and a bot just like we saw in the crawl is a miner he mines these kyber crystals and gives them over to Kratu to purify them this new mine shaft holds some of the darkest blip kyber I've ever seen it might be more corrupt than an old Jedi like me can purify. 
It's very unstable, very dangerous. Sometimes she has more curiosity than sense. As Al is kind of like listening in, one thing that we notice is that she has this like this. Uh, sh- I don't think shawl is the right word, but she has this like it's like a poncho. It's like a fur. She has this like it, she has this thing that she uses to cover her mouth, mm-hmm. like this scarf that covers her mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will learn. Obviously, this is called Al's song. Like she's trying to keep quiet, right? Like we never get mm-hmm. told specifically to that, like at, until a certain point that she has to like keep quiet around these crystals. But that's kind of the, the the main crux of this is that these kyber crystals have this strange reaction to her voice. Um, and as Kratu and a bot are talking, and they have this kyber crystal out, Al is like kind of called to it. Um, and we have this moment where, and this is where like the animation gets like really fucking cool for me. And there's like a couple moments where this happens, but like, there's this moment where Al is just kind of like outlined. She's like, it kind of goes dark and you see this blue hue kind of emanating from her. And then the crystal itself has like this red kind of aura around it. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of in darkness. And she's like, it's, you really get the sense that she's being called to this crystal. Um, and she starts to like sing a little bit. And it causes the kyber crystal to, like, basically explode. <laughs> we learned, like, in a little bit. Um, <laughs> which is yeah. fascinating to me. Like, I- yeah, I mean, there's so much that's really interesting. Because I feel like, for one, I feel like the way this episode, like, um, kind of, I guess I guess that's the right word, like, personifies the energy of a kyber crystal as, like, singing voices. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's something really cool about that. Um, but also, like, I feel like the, I mean, we learn more, kind of more that this is more like a force related thing, right? Later. Yeah. But the idea of also, like, presenting the force as as an energy that can be communicated and, like, transferred through song is, like, there's something so beautiful about that. Yeah. And I feel like it's such a creative take on the force, right? Which, like, I think that so much stuff so much like so many instances of the force in so many star wars things are like it gives you telekinesis and lets you like vaguely sense things like (laughs) stuff like that like like pretty you know like cool jedi shit but i do think that like the force has just this like kind of vague like just energy in the universe or literal force in the universe that exists that just isn't really attached it's not attached to a particular deity or anything it's just like a kind of like thing that you mm-hmm. can't really comprehend or understand but some people are able to just sort of utilize it like it, it makes a lot of sense that you could have something like this that's like because it's such already such an abstract concept it's like yeah like there is something really powerful about like the idea of using your voice to create sounds that are melodic and like sound good to people, you know, it's like there, there is something kind of powerful about that. So it sort of makes sense that, that this like vague undefined energy in the universe that exists can be presented or like harnessed it through song, you know, right. like that's such a cool concept. I feel like that's a thesis of this entire season of visions because we've seen it in other episodes as well. We have 
the first one, Sith, where the Force is used as an art form, specifically yeah, painting. Like, like, yeah. And then we have... Um, the in Screecher's Reach, we have the Force manifested in this ghost in a different way that we've never seen before. In story, also t- voice, storytelling, she's like screaming. Yeah. She has, she's a banshee. Um, and then the last episode that we just talked about, the dancing, which not all people that are Jedi are Force sensitive. People can be Force sensitive. The Force is in everything, right. so right. there just seems to be like a throughfare of this idea of creativity and its and its connection or it's like the force being a manifestation of creativity yeah i feel like oh thousand percent there's also and and again i mentioned like that that concept of ubuntu like early on we're going to talk a little bit more about that but the the chorus right like you mentioned this a little bit Derek, and we'll get to this when we get to the the kyber mines the kyber crystals have a voice too yeah. like yeah. there's their mana like the way they they have them manifested in this episode is like through a chorus of like voices mm-hmm. um yeah, it's so cool. and i think that there's like something very specific and very um powerful about that mm-hmm. um yeah. and, and especially like when you start thinking about song and like one person mm-hmm. not like joining in with the chorus uh, but then, like, oh my god, yeah, like oh, at the end, like she does, um, and so again, we'll we're, yeah. we'll we'll get to that. But okay, yeah, let's listen no, to other stuff. It's yeah. uh, I, I mean, God, it's so hard. It's it's so hard for like this episode is so deep. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much going on with it for such yeah. like, but yet nothing, not much is really actually, actually on the screen. Yeah. In yeah. The episode. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Speaking of, uh, Kratu, like, meets with Al um, after she, she's basically, like, overhearing them and she has this moment with the kyber crystal. And then she she falls and makes a noise and, like, obviously they come out and, like, check on her. Kratu's like, you've grown since I've last seen you and is very sweet to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes a comment about, like, they called to you. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid Al and I must get to work. Hmm. Yokaiba. Of course. Thank you, Abbot. We are grateful for your labors. No thanks needed. To mine the Kaiba is our calling. Hmm. Yes. And it takes courage to heed the call. Basically, like, planting a seed that we'll, like, see later on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and at this moment, you know... Abbot's like, well, we have to go work. We have to go to the mines. And Kratu's going to, like, go do her own thing as well. And then we get this moment. This is where we learn that Abbot is kind of really... He doesn't, like, tell her, like, she has to be quiet. But she he's basically, like, trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. He's, like, saying, like, you know how your voice, um, you know, reacts to these. Like, you have to be more careful. I don't know what would happen if I wasn't around mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because it seems like they don't understand that she's purifying the crystals at this point. Right. right? Well, like, well, they're... Because they've never, they just see them reacting and like, if, I mean, like they've never let her sing enough to purely purify them. Exactly. How would they know that that would be the end result and not them exploding? You know, you can't take that chance. Um, Exactly. And and from here, so first of all, I just want to say this episode is just such a visual fucking feast. Like we've already talked about it, but like this moment, so they, they start getting ready to go into to go to work essentially a uh, owl has a job and so does a bot um and they get on this scooter mm-hmm. first of all they both put on goggles and the way that this is animated them going into town i like i it's so cool they 
so they're on this like road that wraps around this mountain and instead of like the them just kind of moving down the road what they do is they kind of are on this this speeder the scooter kind of thing and the the mountain that they're going around like spins yeah right like so neat. it's this really cool visual effect that they do and then they just kind of sit still and the fucking mountain is spinning like really fast like it's like the like cylindrical thing to like show them moving into town so and cool. oh i just loved that like i was like this is so cool i've never seen this done before but it's such a cool reminds me of a miyazaki animation i feel like there's mm, some like mm-hmm. when they're on scooters or something like that mm, like i feel like yeah. that happens in a similar way but not yeah. Like this specifically. Ugh, I loved it. I loved that moment. Um, and then, yeah, they they make their way into town, and we get more of this like really distinct style of animation, um, where we see uh, we see some some different characters. So first of all, we see a droid waddling in the background, and it's kind of that that nineteen sixties nineteen seventies style droid with like the rubber arms mm-hmm. and shit. Um, we also have a Mandalorian that like. Does not it looks it does not look like a Mandalorian. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so blocky. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um and then we get my fucking favorite character in this show. Grimace. (laughs) The fucking weird purple cow beasts that have chicken legs. Like like I think it looked like one of those flat fish guys. You know those big fat flat fish that have the eyes on the side of their No. Like the cave fish? Something like that. I don't, I don't know. know. But, like, they're so cool. Yeah. They reminded me, um, my favorite, like, Sesame Street puppet or Sesame Street character was uh, Snuffleupagus. Um, and it, it obviously doesn't look like an elephant, but it just, like, because it's, like, a yeah. big kind of puppety creature, it just, like, reminded me of that. And, like, ugh. Same vibes. The big eyes, I think, help a lot. The big eyes. I fucking love those things. In, on Wikipedia, they, <laughs> they're just classified as unidentified purple beast. <laughs> so good. Which you is so fucking good. It's just... I don't remember Pearl Beats. UPB. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just... Yeah, UPBs. Prehistoric uh, Grimace. I don't know what they are. They're just like big puffy doofuses and I just can't stop thinking about them. They look like blurgs, kind of, too. They look a little bit like Twi'lek blurgs. Um, anyway, she... So Al's job is to uh, groom these creatures, like brush them. Um, she pulls off a wood louse. Um, That's a big-ass like, lice. Lice look cute. Yeah, I don't understand how they pulled that. It off. has like these, these like googly eyes <laughs> like underneath. Then- but I will yeah. say, and I didn't notice this on my first watch, but on my second watch, I realized. So she pulls it off, and like it like crawls under this rock. And later, when she gets to the mines, yeah, the way the way that she finds her way into the mines is because of those those yeah. creatures. But she's like she's like called to them. Mm-hmm. Like there's like this moment where like she hears kind of like something and like it's almost I think it's the force and like mm-hmm. I think it's because she like saved the one. Like she didn't kill it. She just like plucks it off and like lets it go on its way. But then she's like called to them later on and that's how she gets into the mine, which is really cool. Which we've Very seen cool. Jedi have connections with animals a lot. Yeah. So um so she um like I said, she kind of is like uh grooming these creatures, but uh, while she's doing it, she hears um, she hears a calling again, and then she sets off on this like really dangerous excursion. <laughs> uh, I will add that like she literally almost dies. She like yeah. jumps a cliff and almost dies heading to this cave, um, which was wild. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, once again, we kind of have like the calling to the dark cave, which we have in Star Wars stories, like coming from like the Joseph Campbell, um, mm-hmm. uh, what is it called? Monomyth. Monomyth. Um, mm-hmm. and 
like I said, she gets called. She like finds a separate way in. She kind of is like listening to a bot, and I think it's Atu mm-hmm. is the other one at this time. Um, kind of talk Kratu. outside. Kra- no, it's this is this is a different um like purple oh, or okay. different um Corbin of their Corbin. Yes, yeah, it's Atu um that he's like kind of talking to, and he's talking about how like they need to go deep into this mine kind of thing. They're still mining for those those crystals, um, and she. Slips, falls, but then finds her way into this back entrance, um, into this cave. Um, there's not a whole lot to really talk about at this moment. Essentially, what happens is she kind of is led in and she starts like sensing these kyber crystals um, and she just feels called to sing with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What one thing I noticed I, when I when I rewatched it, I had headphones on. And I didn't even notice, but like when she, before the crystals even start singing to her, when she first goes into the cave, there's like very quiet whispering. Yes. Like, did you hear in the background? And like, it's really, and it's really cool when you have headphones in because it's like in stereo. So it's like kind of going back and forth between two sides as she's walking around. It's very, very effectively done. I will note, so one thing I noticed too, when she kind of does start uh, singing with the crystals, it sounds like they're they're harmonizing together to begin with. But then a bot like immediately shows up and there's this moment where the music, the musicalness of the crystals kind of like falters and like falls down. And that's when they start getting angry. The crystals, they start it screaming, seems like. They're like, sc- like screaming in pain and terror and anger. It's fucking wild. Yeah. You're probably going to come to this, but there was a really great quote in the filmmaker focus about this. I don't know if it's in your notes, but when they were talking, so I know that you're, you're probably getting into this too, that they used a Cape Town chorus to yes. the voices of the crystals. So it, it really genuinely is a chorus that's in an acoustical chamber. Yeah. Um, I think even a church, it looked like. Yeah, um, it was um, the Cape Town Youth Choir, I believe. Yeah. I'm huh. Looking for it where it but was. But my... it was be- beautifully done, but I don't think it was, it might have been um, the the animator, I can't recall, or because she's a singer as well. She's singing. Yeah. yeah, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Nadia talked about, I think it was Nadia, but please, if it was someone else, just, but it, you should get this quote if you can. But she talked about it, the, 
like the the song of the crystals being yeah in pain or like broken going up in south africa there are many cultures including the cultures that i grew up with where using the voice and using song and chants it's a means of connecting with people connecting with the land connecting with spirits in other realms ao has a deep willingness to help and heal and the land that she lives in has a desire for healing and so her voice is a sort of multi-dimensional bridge between her will and the needs of the land when i was looking for what sorts of music or singing could represent the voices of the kyber crystals i came across uh, bulgarian choir music which seemed to have the perfect ambiguous tone it's hard to tell whether it's sorrow or joy or some mixture of the two Marcus managed to find some really beautiful samples and weaving them together into the collective sound of this community of crystals. Singing connects you to the land is something that she like mentioned and it's it, healing too. And healing and yeah. like finding your own voice and like that kind of thing which is really kind of fascinating and I think it's what like is happening here too, right? Mm -hmm. Like the entirety of like this world it seems like is has these like infected like these blood crystals you know so like the whole of the world is like like you know kind of in pain yeah yeah but, yeah it's just a, it's a very like like final fantasy 7 shit like, the uh, yes whole world live stream like, screaming in pain yeah live stream but also it reminds <laughs> me of which obviously this probably came from this it made me realize probably from kotor because the same company made dragon age the lyrium in that uh in that series like the mages use lyrium to make magic and the lyrium is usually a blue crystal but then there's bad crystals that are red red lyrium which is like mm. very poisonous and it sings to the dwarves in the same way oh, that this so sings cool. to so when they're mining for lyrium they have to be very careful because if they find a vein of red lyrium it can um possess them yeah. and make them go crazy um i love when yeah so it's so cool i love when things do shit with like the land like like yeah. you know like calling out or like i don't know it's just yeah, yeah well you, you know what also made me think of too like you know if you heard of the things where you can like listen to a planet like yes with, that, yeah when they like record like what planets oh, yes. yeah. it's so it's, cool yeah and it's like I, I, yeah and like you, i think like all there's like vibrations and everything like rocks have sounds yeah. to them because there's yeah. always some kind of vibration no, happening, true. like with those minerals so it kind of is the same thing it's like but you're just like you know it's like instead of it just being you know the sound or the tone which is cool in and of itself it's sort of like taking that other little further where these like powerful crystals literally sing like there's something so fucking yeah. cool about that mm -hmm. that still kind of feels grounded in reality in yeah. a weird way you know yeah. and there's always been so much like uh you know mythology and like a lot of people like genuinely like believe that like actual crystals have like powers one way or another um and you know whatever the truth to that is there is something that like two crystals that i think feel special to people and like feel like feel powerful in one way or another you know mm -hmm. um so yeah it all just kind of makes a lot of a lot of sense i think they're just yeah. so magical too as a mm -hmm. substance like there's nothing on the world that is more magical than a fucking crystal like <laughs> yeah like yeah. It, so true. they're just so they're so, they're cool. so symbolic well, of like the fantasy type feel of like uh an item of power or something like a thinking D&D &D, like a totem Implements. of power and yeah. implement or like, something like yeah like I don't know there's just something so otherworldly about them 
Ugh. I'm glad you mentioned that too, Derek, about the like worlds, like being able to listen to like worlds and stuff. Cause that, I didn't even mm-hmm. think about that, but like, That's yeah, cool. that is like such, that is such like a cool like connection to this that I don't even know if they intended that, but like, it's a real thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the, the planets actually sing yeah. their own Yeet. songs. It's very The voice cool. of the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Live stream. <laughs> um, Anyway, as this is kind of happening, um, she's in the cave, she's singing, a bot kind of like jumps down, rescues, quote, rescues her, but is honestly really causing more harm than I think he intends to. Um, The voices grow in this crescendo and uh, Al, a bot, and a two have to like flee from the spire. Um, They cross this rope bridge that starts to collapse and a bot and Al fall. Kratu arrives like an absolute badass in this moment and God, saves them so cool. uh, before they fall all the way. But a bot hurts his leg. She's like, kind of like you hear this happening in the background. He's like, can you, she's like, can you run? He's like, I don't know. I think maybe. And in that moment, Al just kind of like steps up, um, removes her uh, scarf and just starts singing. Are you able to run? Maybe if I... <clears throat> She purified the Kaiba. <gasps> she purified the Kaiba. How? Your voice, Al. Across the thousands of stars I have traveled, never have I heard anything like it. It is a gift. And that's when we learn that her voice is actually purifying the crystals. And we get this beautiful animation. Like we see this like map almost like everything kind of goes dark and you see all these like red dots kind of light up and you just see owl singing and it just, she just like her voice permeates and like purifies all of these crystals. Um, And then, I mean, from here, really the rest of the episode is like, she's given the choice. Like Kratu is like your voice purified these crystals. Like I can help, uh, like tr- not train you, but I can help you like manage your gift and like use your gift for good. But it's the choice is yours. Like you can either uh, stay here or you can come with me. A bot is very much like, but her life is here. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of sad a little bit, but yeah, it actually reminded me a lot. This moment where he, a bot kind of does a 360. I mean, obviously he loves her. He's her father. He wants her to stay. But there's this moment where they're looking at each other, and it, I think it was really kind of, um, it just reminded me a lot of the essence of the 
Ubuntu, like you said, was I am because you are. Mm -hmm. And what I got from that thought is that you you have your own life too. And we are together in the fact that I am able to allow you to go sort of thing. Um, This like respect for her as her own person, but also in his love for her and and for them being a family. Um, And I think that I am as you are also is the same thing of the whole fact that there's a chorus of song and, and, and not just the, the, the people that live on this planet that live in unison and do things together, but the, um, what we just talked about, you know, the, 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 the nature itself is its own community and its own living, breathing thing. And there's something about, there's something really beautiful about that, you know, about him He's not giving up. I mean, he is giving, he's giving up his daughter in some ways because he doesn't get to see her grow up in some ways. Mm -hmm. But at least we have the positive knowledge in this episode instead of Screecher's Reach knowing that she probably gets to visit. Probably not as much as um, other people would given the fact that we do know that Jedi don't really like familial relationships. But (laughs) we're going to hope that, you know... It's a. I mean, it definitely seems like a crystals, exactly. You know? so, so it seems is... like a much more positive outcome. Yeah, um, the hope yeah. is that maybe she's come, she is able to come back and see her people and see um, a bot and things like that. I do. I did want to yeah. just really quickly touch a little bit more on that that concept of Ubuntu. I am because you are as well. So, kind of getting to that first. I. I follow me for a second. So going back to Nadia, who was talking about singing. She actually had an interview uh, with the uh, the Mary Sue um, talking about how kyber crystals are this sort of sentient uh, thing that respond to your voice. Um, uh, and she talks about, she says, uh, when we sing together, if you have a group of people that are chanting together, you feel connected to the land and the kyber crystals, they're sort of, they have this semi-sentient nature, right? And we really wanted to tap into that. There's something sp- special about it that isn't so, it's just more special than anything else we could play with in terms of like the land and what grows from the land. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that's a through line throughout Star Wars, right? Like we've talked a little bit about Kyber crystals. We talked about, about how they call out to Jedi mm-hmm. and how they have this innate connection, uh, through the force to kind of like speak or sing, if you will, to individuals who are supposed to find them, right? The kyber crystals do. I thought that this, the way she thought about it was such a fresh and interesting interpretation of that, because I think that like in kind of the traditional sense, kyber crystals calling out to Jedi, it's very much like this one-to-one thing. Like in other media, they talk about kyber crystals, like finding your kyber crystal, finding the kyber crystal like that you're supposed to use it's very much kind of like more of this exceptional like heroic thing and i'm not saying that what nadia is talking about isn't exceptional but in kind of like the terms of like exceptionalism like of like the individual individualism that's kind of more of what i think jedi relationship with kyber crystals are naturally mm-hmm. or naturally like in the in the normal sense of things in, in mm-hmm. star wars lore um but i think I think what Nadia is talking about is kind of more exceptional. It's not in that same traditional sense. It's just kind of this re-envisioning of the relationship. It's not this like one-to-one thing. It's this choir of voices that are calling out in a way. And it's adding, it's it's more kind of at the end, like I was talking about before, Al adding her voice to that, that choir. Right. And 
Josh Rhymes, executive producer for Lucasfilms, talked about how there's this sweet spot to finding what the Force is. Anytime we're working with studios like Triggerfish who want to explore the Force in brand new, interesting ways, finding that sweet spot of what the Force is, and really it's that it connects all living things and that it can prop up in unexpected ways, especially for different far-flung planets and people and cultures and aliens. That's really what we focused on here when talking about Al and her voice and what it all means. That, I, that's like Star Wars 101, right? Like it's, a, it's created by all living things. It surrounds us. It penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together and so yeah and so just kind of like that choir like thinking about a choir it's multiple voices and then going back to um what uh tamisha omasha's quote about ubuntu it's clear that they all had this shared vision of when it came to creating the story that they wanted to tell um and it's really interesting how they talked about it through kind of these different lenses and then kind of wrapping it all up in that idea of ubuntu um So Ubuntu is kind of both a theological and philosophical concept, um, and I'm not going to be able to adequately express uh, it or deliver it, like define it, like super articulately. So just like as we have done in the past, like with a lot of these things, like I definitely just encourage people to like do just like research it um, and like look look some different things up about it because I think it is a really cool uh, concept that I'm just now kind of learning about a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I pulled from the uh, the African Journal of Social Work of how they describe it. They say Ubuntu refers to a collection of values and practices um, that black people of Africa or of African origin view as making people authentic human beings. Uh, while the nuances of these values and practices vary across uh, different ethnic groups, they all point to one thing. An authentic individual human being is part of a larger and more significant uh, relational, communal, societal, environmental, and spiritual world. Wow! And like that's the force, that I uh, right. Yeah, like I walked, away, I walked away from that, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like this is kind of like the well, force. it's the same way we see it in other spiritualities, like in Buddhism. Yeah, the Buddha is not a god, but rather a symbol of being a human and being connected to all things. Mm-hmm. So that's right. just really cool. Um, and and yeah. even in the sense of like where the episode ends, right? Where um, Ao ends up going with Kratu, right? Like it's, that's kind of like even more of her finding her voice, finding her place, finding how she fits into the greater like galaxy, like world for in, in kind of the more literary sense, right? How she fits in into that like greater community, right? Like that's, that's more where she belongs. Ao chose to free her voice. She chose to follow her own personal calling. In choosing freedom and in choosing a calling, she's taking on responsibility. And nothing says choosing freedom and responsibility like leaving the nest. We're not saying that leaving is always the right thing to do. I think for her father, but his calling was to mine the Khyber. It's right for him to stay. But I think for Al, her destiny was in the stars, not in the in the rocks. Ao's voice in the story is largely based on my personal relationship with singing myself. I found that singing and using my voice is so healing and transformative. I hope the film encourages kids to to feel free to sing and use their voice. I don't know. I just <laughs> I I thought that it was very interesting, like hearing 
again, like them talk about these, these concepts in different values, like in different ways. And like, it all just kind of like comes together and like makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it harmonizes. It yeah. Harmonizes. It harmonizes. The forces in all of us. Yep. Yay. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, that is all so fascinating and it is, I mean, I think that that, again, I think that speaks to why, these this this sort of experiment that Star Wars is doing with visions is so important because I I don't know that most people would have ever made that connection right <laughs> you know if and, we hadn't had a story had a, a South African story yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. told through Star Wars you and, know and it's 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 also too like <laughs> the other thing I'll say is that like you you have to like get like it's going deep into like f- listening to the people who are creating it, like listen to like yeah. where they're getting their interpretation and stuff like that. Um, not to like make to go down this path, but it's like also like such a, a reason where like separating art from artists is like such a bad philosophy <laughs> because it's like the the artistry is like so dependent upon like the, like especially here, like their lived experiences and like their beliefs and like that kind of thing that it's like, you get such a deeper, profound understanding of like what they're doing by hearing them talk to it, talk about it, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, this one was very like impactful. I thought this one was Absolutely. very cool. Yeah, it felt very personal watching it. So it's like mm-hmm. not a surprise when you hear the creators talk about how it was actually very personal to them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but and it's also like, I don't know, I, I feel like everybody can get the concept of like, you know, we're all we are all a part of the world. Like we are we are all one with nature, you know, like I, I it, it's so clear in this and it's so cool to like see it through the lens of like cool ass crystal crystals and a beautiful singing voice, you know, yeah. like it's uh yeah, it's, it was such a, such a cool, such a beautiful, unique story that they told here. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I know we're like at two hours and 20 minutes at Ooh. this point. Uh, <laughs> well, if I thought I, that before editing, before editing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I did just want to call out that we haven't really talked a lot about is um, the music in this one. So the composer, Marcus Wormstrom, I, Man, so much about this is just so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. He talked about, like, how he used 50-year-old synthesizers to create the sound. Um, And then we talked about this before of, like, he used, like, he worked with, like, the Cape Town Youth Choir um, in this echoey-ass cathedral to, like, capture specifically capture, like, using specific microphones to capture the space that they were in for, like, getting that sound for, like, the kyber crystals. It's perfect. Um, Yeah. And, like, also, like, they found, like, this old, like, I think it was Norse, or not Norse, Norwegian, like, kind of choir chants and stuff. I don't, like, so much of the sound. Bulgarian Bulgarian choir, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is just, like. Amazing. Amazing and really just fascinating that they went through that. Just fucking creative, really. Yeah, create this. Um, I did want to call out, too, one thing. When (laughs) the music, when they get on the, uh, I know this is jumping around a lot, but when they get on the, uh, the speeder, the music is just, like, this really bopping like cool synthy music it um, kind of yeah. like stranger thingsy but yeah like, a little bit but it's like yeah. very but childlike happy. like it's very childlike like it feels like a i don't know it's great it's so great yep yeah anything else y'all wanted to mention for this episode it's perfect i love it it's cute it's cute it's very perfect cute. it's amazing Beautiful. i love it too and i hope they make 
toys. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna say plushes. toys. Yeah. Oh my god, I want them so. Well, I mean, they I did want, make toys yeah. for Visions. The first they have season. Some, so I'm hoping they give us some toys. For and the not just Funko one. Pops. Like, give us some like freaking oh, plushies. Does, like, I want something yes. soft. I know. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> Uh, I sounded like Jennifer Coolidge. For give a me something soft. I want something <laughs> soft, real bad. <laughs> um, Derek, we cannot thank you enough for joining us on this uh, journey. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you, and yeah, we just obviously always love getting to talk Star Wars with you, and especially we love you. You're cute. You're perfect. Yeah, everything. Amazing. Yeah, uh, where where can our friends find you in the stars? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find my other podcasts, uh, Gimmicks, which looks at the high concept, structure breaking, experimental episodes of television with a different show and a different guest for every episode I do. Uh, that's anywhere you get your podcasts, or you can follow it on Twitter and Instagram at Gimmicks Pod. You can also find Walloping Web Snappers, uh, which is my Spider Man podcast that does deep dives into every Spider Man cartoon ever made. Uh, and you can find that also anywhere you get your podcasts or on wallopingwebsnappers.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Walloping Web Pod. Uh, that's all I'll plug for now because that's already plenty. <laughs> find <laughs> all it those places stuff. and you can Something find it for everyone. Somewhere. No, we're huge fans <laughs> of all of that stuff and not mm-hmm. not just because we've we've <laughs> we've been able to to be on uh gimmicks but like your your gimmicks episodes and walloping web snappers, like everything y'all you put out is just phenomenal. So definitely everyone should go check those out. Um, as for us, we are dis- at distant echoes SW on Twitter and Instagram, or you can find each of us individually. Cassie, where are you located in this galaxy? I'm rebranding as the big purple unidentified monster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, Cassie Thulu. Um, I'm not really, I retweet things on Twitter that Tommy sends me specifically, <laughs> uh, but I'm mostly on Instagram. Gotcha. Yeah. And I am at awkward comma and I'm mostly on Twitter and kind of not really sadly on, no, on uh, Instagram. Yeah. Sadly. Uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please, if you like what we're doing, go rate and review us on Apple podcasts or wherever you can rate those ratings really help us. And we'd love it if you could drop us a five star review or whatever. Tune in next time when we bring you the same old song and dance. Ha ha. Get it? Get it? Because we covered an episode about a dance and then another one about a song. Get it? Good job. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.